does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. So I would like to say to you, Brendan King, I would like to say to you, Eddie Garrison, that I came up with this epiphany. And the younger me, the younger me would have probably done that. Was this at 2 in the morning? I actually went to bed. I had an early morning this morning, so I went to bed at like 1.30. But I had to get up at 7. But... The younger me would have taken credit for this, but I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I am now far more mature. I am, I am, I am basically like the philanthropic radio host, right? Like I, listen, no credit to me. I want everybody else to get the love. Okay. So somebody else sent this to me. My buddy, Paul, the mailman sent this to me, Paul Hurley. The greatest photographer, postal carrier in Indianapolis. But it's brilliant. He sent me the following text, okay? This was sent to me before we went on the air about 15 or 20 minutes ago. And then I said to myself, I can't wait until we're on the air at noon so that I can share the brilliance of this text with the Indianapolis listening market, okay? There have been two quarterbacks – in 40 years for the Indianapolis Colts that have defeated the Pittsburgh Steelers. Two. They are, would you like to guess, Eddie Garrison, the first of the two. There are two who have started games. The text says has the following. These two num- uh, sorry, these two Indianapolis Colts are responsible for the entirety of wins in 40 years against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Well, one of them. They are 2-18. and 18. One of them was on the pop quiz this morning with KB and Andy. Oh. And that would be the sheriff. Okay, that is correct. Peyton Manning. That is correct. In 2008. Would you like to guess the other? The butler did it was the headline in the newspaper in the first year that the Colts beat the Steelers as the Indianapolis Colts because Ray Butler caught a tipped pass that won the game at the RCA Dome, then the Hoosier Dome, sending the crowd into a frenzy. Who was the starting quarterback? He came over on the Mayflower truck from Baltimore. He had played collegiately at Arizona State. He had played for Frank Cush, that was the head coach of the Colts. Oh, boy. His initials are the same as the leading receiver for the Colts this year. We're doing MPJ or MJ? Uh, Without the junior. Okay. Just MP. Okay. Just making sure it wasn't like... Mike Pagel is the only other quarterback. Yeah, Both Mike Pagel and Peyton Manning, what do they have in common besides being the only two quarterbacks to have defeated the Pittsburgh Steelers while quarterbacking the Indianapolis Colts? Do they both wear 18? That is correct. So... Good work. Gardner Minshew, they need to temporarily... They need to lift the 18 retirement. Gardner Minshew, baby. Gardner Mania, put him in number 18, and let's get win number four against the Pittsburgh Steelers because the Colts need it badly, right? Because if you look at their schedule, they they basically need to go. They probably three and one would probably get them in. Two and two would put them on kind of thin ice. 
One and three, they're on thin ice, and you can hear the all around the ice around them, and you can tell it's about to crack in getting into the AFC playoffs. But right now, if they go three and one, I think they're in because they're at ten and six or at seven and six. That put them at ten and seven. That probably Brennan gets them in, right? You would hope so, right? especially if those wins like Pittsburgh is the big one because when that ice starts cracking, if you're standing there with Pittsburgh, there's only one life preserver, right? And you can't, you cannot have lost to Pittsburgh because you lose the, the the first tiebreaker there. So they've got to beat Pittsburgh with Mitchell Trubisky and, and no no Kenny Pickett. His little hands, he's not going to be here. So you have to beat Mitchell Trubisky in the Pittsburgh Steelers. So why not then guarantee yourself victory, or at least certainly help it by having Gardner Minshew go out and wear number eighteen? I see, think it's foolproof. See, th- th- these are the things that I'm trying to do to help out this community and the football fans of Central Indiana. Well, you've actually done multiple things over the last 24 hours. I mean, you asked the question to Dustin Dupirak. Did I get that right? Yes. I'm one for one, Jake. Dupirak, yep. Uh, you asked the question to him yesterday about Ben Mather, and he goes out and drops 30 last night. So you, you are helping hey. the Indianapolis community. So last night, here's what the Pacers did. You guys ever hit the snooze button? Yep. Yep. How many times on average do you hit the snooze button? I hit it three times today. Really? I did. Now, here's the thing. I'm assuming when I say snooze button, you're using your phone, right? Mm -hmm. So does that mean that when you hit the snooze button, you let it go all the way to the alarm again, and then you hit it, or you you looked at it and you're like, there's two minutes left, I'm going to extend ahead of time? Uh, So my alarm is set to go off, I think, at like 8.30, and then I snoozed it once it went off, Uh, and then it, I think it goes off another 10 minutes, snoozed it again. Snooze it again. You know, you can just set for the different times ahead of time, right? See, like when I, I did the morning show, I had it set for three different times in yeah. case I slept through two of them. Here's oh, I the set problem. a million alarms. Here's the problem. If I do that, I will physically not get out of bed until the third one. No. And then at the third time, I'm like, ugh, I got to get up. Do you know what my grandfather did like back in the, the day, like in the early 30s? My grandfather, he told me this. Now, maybe this is some wives' tale and everybody's grandfather did this. I don't know. He had a rooster and it will come up at... Close. There's a rooster right. <laughs> next to, there's a rooster right next to Grand Park, r- literally yes. right across from the Colts practice facility. And when I was going to do the morning show, uh, I remember he, that he was the one fellow. He would he was basically heckling us. Um, my grandfather had it set up, had his clock set up in such a way that it was attached to his record playing stereo. Oh, so that when a certain when the hand hit a certain mark it would turn on the record playing stereo on the other side of the room so he had to physically get up out of bed to walk across and turn the stereo off smart then he was awake smart because you're right you you got it right next to you on the you're like okay you just go right back to sleep um but at any rate the pacers could have hit the snooze button last night in detroit they're taking on a team in the pistons that was looking for uh to avoid a 20th consecutive loss they go up there, and if you heard Rick Carlisle on this morning with KB and Andy, you know he had made the point of the fact that uh, Benedict Matherin continues to earn minutes. I, I think that I think at the beginning of the year with Benedict Matherin that we we were kind of thinking that Matherin was just going to simply have like minutes not handed to him, but that they they were ready for him to become the running mate with Tyrese Halliburton. And and I've seen people say, and, and I'm not saying that it's incorrect, that Buddy Heald is perhaps limiting that progression for Benedict Matherin. It would make sense because obviously you're taking minutes away from Matherin. But I think 
at the beginning of the year, maybe there was the thought of Matherin's getting these minutes, but yet he hasn't necessarily completely in totality of season, quote unquote, earned those minutes. So they, they scaled it back a little bit. And now when he's out there, he knows that he's got to produce right away. And, he, and he's done that. I mean, especially the last few games. What I liked about Matherin in the Laker game was, you know, he never lost that that drive killer mentality like he definitely has a competitive nature in him where he's not afraid and he gets kind of angry and plays angry sometimes which can be a good and bad thing but last night he was really good to your point Brendan and um that was one of those games that was kind of a no win situation because if you beat Detroit you're supposed to beat Detroit yeah. but but it would have been a disaster had they lost so kudos to them with that quick turnaround kind of and coming off of everything that was going on in Vegas and going into Detroit had all the makings for a snooze button game, and yet they answered the bell. 20 straight losses for Detroit. You have to feel for the people of Michigan because I, I don't know if you saw this, Eddie. When the Pistons win, uh, fans get five free wings from uh, Wingstop, Oof. and that's uh, two wins. You do the math. That's that's, that's 10 wings on the year, guys. Uh-huh. That's, <laughs> that's tough. Wow. Are you serious? They yeah. get it's Anytime the, they win, they get five free wings? Five free yeah. wings. With a ticket, right? Uh, I don't know exactly what it was, but still. It's the longest losing streak in a season in NBA history. It ties, doesn't it? I thought it tied it. See, that was the longest losing streak in franchise history, but it spanned over two seasons. Gotcha. It didn't all happen. All 21 didn't ha- happen consecutively what, in the same was season. It the Houston Rockets? I thought the Rockets had a year where they lost 21 straight. Uh-huh. 20 or 21 straight. I'll, let me double check. But I'm pretty I sure mean, that's that, the Those factoid. Bobcats teams were terrible. I mean, they they were eligible. The, the interesting thing about Detroit is that they have talent. It's just young talent. I mean, they've yeah. had good picks. That You know, you got Jaden Ivey. You got Cunningham's a really good player. Um, it's just going to take some time, obviously. And then the other thing, too, that you just don't know is you, you can get really good players, but it doesn't mean that they always mesh together. And likewise, you can have – NBA teams and basketball teams in general are like jigsaw puzzles. You you know, sometimes you look at it and the pieces look weird, but then when they all come together, you're like, you know what? I get it now. It's like that 3D imaging art that was big for 18 months in the 90s. Like you, you stare and you stare and you stare at it and you're like, I don't get it. And then when it comes together, you can never unsee it and you're like, it totally makes sense now. I take that back. It's franchise history, not NBA history. The longest losing streak in NBA history in one season was in 2010 the 2011 season, and in the 13-14 season, would you like to guess the teams? Well, the Houston Rockets was one, was it not? No. One of them was the Bobcats. No. What? Okay, so who was it? 2010-2011 season was the Cleveland Cavaliers. Wow. 2013-2014, trust the process. Oh, that's right. 76ers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But nonetheless... You know, and, and it's one thing if you are if you know you have a bad team and you're just almost like positioning for, but that's not the case with Detroit. I mean, Detroit's trying to build, right? That was 26 consecutive losses in one season. That's rough. That's tough. I mean, talk about going from the top to the bottom too. Their coach, I totally forgot Monty Williams is their coach. People started going to the uh, Sixers games that year just on a hunger strike, right? <laughs> like if you were trying to lose weight then you went to the Sixers game if they were giving out free wings per win because you went like <laughs> two and a half months without eating that's a bit rough enjoy your 10 wings Detroit they really get so you know the I'd like to know this if you go to a Pacer game and during the course of a Pacer game the opponent misses two consecutive free throws right you get free fries from Arby's right and they, that's why the, the pacemates stand in the background and they're waving the, the, the 
Arby's fries sign. And it happens more often than you think. And if you go to the game, you get an email the next day that's like, go Pacers. Like, here's, you know, don't forget to go to Arby's. How many people actually, it's great promotion for Arby's because how many people take advantage of that, you think? The curly fries oh, at Arby's are fabulous. Few. Don't get me wrong. I, I think the few, best right? promo that the Pacers have, though, is whenever they win, you get a buy one, get one free sub. Or not sub, but at Penn Station. Rick Carlisle does that commercial. Indeed he does. It's inspiring. But you have to have a ticket, right? Um, I no, don't know. You just have to text. I, I, that's uh, yeah, right. You text, you text right. a certain that's number. Right. Yeah. That's right. The, the, the Arby's one, you have to Correct. show that your ticket. Yeah, right. get it. And then, of course, as I've mentioned a billion times on radio, uh, you could be like, I don't know if I should confess to this. What's the statute of limitations you think on on poor judgment or um, non scrupulous behavior? Like saying it on the radio? Yeah. Well, you're should, the host of the show. Should I always just <laughs> should I just say that this might have been somebody else that did this? I I've mentioned it before when yeah, I was just a, just talking to the third person. When I was point. when I was in college, I heard about a guy in college. I heard about a guy in college that went to go see a Colts game and, and bought tickets in the upper deck because he was in college, didn't have a lot of money, but his buddy was from the city that was playing against the Colts, so they bought tickets in the upper deck of the Hoosier Dome. And like in the mid third quarter, one of the larger pizza chains in town. Um, said congratulations if you are sitting in row blank in section blank you've won a free pizza and my buddy apparently was sitting right on the aisle so and it was their row it's like oh my gosh awesome and then a representative came and handed a large stack of the free pizza coupons and said take one and move it all the way down the aisle and my buddy supposedly then said to his buddy like you know what we should leave and they had free pizza for like two years (laughs) (laughs) i'm not i'm just saying like i heard did you watch jeopardy well, you did that <laughs> on the first run or the second run while having the free you pizza. You love that Jeopardy story, don't you? I know. I like Brandon, and I used to watch Jeopardy then. at 4 o'clock in the Topeka market yeah. when I was at University of Kansas, and then it came on again at like 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock in Kansas City. So while I would, <laughs> I would skip class, and while everybody was away at class, I would watch Jeopardy on the Topeka market, and then when everybody would come back from class, we'd be watching it, and I, you know, I'd be like, oh, what is the Magna Carta? And they're like, how in the world does Corey know all this stuff? I was the Ken Jennings of the University of Kansas, right? <laughs> By you the way, back. I couldn't help but notice your shirt. A lot of Pacer legends on that, including one who's you not like doing this? so well right now. Uh, this shirt is from Goat, which is the greatest of all tees, is the name of the company. Oh, nice. And they do this for basically any franchise, any team. They probably have a Cubs one that says like Sandberg, Dawson, Banks, you know. So this one is for the Pacers, and it says um, Miller and McGinnis and O'Neill and Smiths and Person and Davis and Kellogg. Of course, the Davis could be either one. Uh, George McGinnis, in fact. I think most people know this by now. Um, George McGinnis is in a serious health situation currently. He had a health episode tour. I, I believe it was either the end of last week or the beginning of this week. My days all run together. I believe it was the, the end of last week. Um, but he is in very serious condition, hospitalized in Indianapolis. And George McGinnis is, you know, I was talking to Mark Monteith about this, and Mark makes this point, which is such a good one. When you talk about basketball legends in Indiana, you know, obviously you have, you kind of break it into tiers because you have your high school legends, you have your college legends, you have your professional legends. You know, your high school legends, Bobby Plump is a legend in Indiana. Larry Bird is a collegiate and professional legend in Indiana, but his high school days at Springs Valley, most people that would tell you they remember that or remember him being on the 74 All-Star team would be disingenuous or embellishing a little bit. 
um, because he was not a, a huge on-the-radar guy. That's part of his charm and story for sure. You know, Steve Alford was a great high school and college player that then had a cup of coffee in the NBA for a couple of years with Dallas and Golden State, etc. George McGinnis, with the exception of Oscar Robertson, George McGinnis is the most dominant basketball career of any player coming out of an Indianapolis high school all time. He was an, an amazing player at Washington. In 1969, Washington, even though Steve Downing, his teammate, was the one that hit ultimately the game-winning shot against Marion in the 69 uh, semifinals, the morning game at Butler Fieldhouse, now Hinkle Fieldhouse, in order to advance to take on Gary Tolliston in the state championship in 1969. McGinnis was the star of that team. He had 27. He set the record for the most points in a Final Four um, and for a semi-state and state. I think he had 148 points in four games. McGinnis then went on to Indiana, where, of course, freshmen were ineligible. But in his sophomore year at Indiana, he averaged 30 points a game. It is still the largest single-season scoring average in Indiana University history. Um, He is the only player in the history of Indiana University to average 30 points for a season. And then, of course, he went into the ABA, playing for the Pacers, helping the Pacers to multiple ABA championships, and then the Philadelphia 76ers had drafted his rights, so he ultimately moved over to Philadelphia where he was the co-MVP along with Julius Irving for the Sixers for the NBA itself, went to the NBA Finals. And interestingly enough, he then went to the Denver Nuggets, and the Pacers had a young guard from the University of South Carolina. The Denver Nuggets had an assistant coach, who had coached that guard at South Carolina and had convinced the management of the Nuggets, look, this guy that's in Indiana is going to be a player. He's going to be a great scorer, and we need him here in Denver. So they called up the Pacers and said, we really want that young guard out of South Carolina, and we have a legend and a forward here that still has some game left in him in George McGinnis. We will trade you George McGinnis for Alex English. And they made that trade. And so George McGinnis was traded back to the Pacers. Alex English went to the Nuggets where he scored more points in the 80s than any player in the NBA. The assistant coach then went to Indiana, became the general manager, and it was Donnie Walsh, who was an assistant for Larry Brown at Denver at the time and wanted Alex English to come to Denver. But McGinnis finished his career here, and then he went into business here in Indianapolis. And um, you know his wife just passed – a year or two ago, I think maybe a year ago, shortly after his mother had. But I've never met anybody, and look, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I knew George McGinnis, or no, I should say George McGinnis really well, Um, but the few meetings that I had with him, because we knew mutual people, he, he, he treated and acted like I had been to at Washington as the class of 70 or 69 or 68, and just was a gentle giant. Um, when he was out in the community and still is to this day somebody that people would you know stop by and, and, and go to his house and he is absolutely just one of those radiant personalities that is larger than life in terms of his generosity and friendliness to people I just think that you know he is somebody that when anybody talks about him they they say what a nice guy he is so he is hospitalized I believe on the north side of Indianapolis and we certainly hope and and uh, wish for the best for George McGinnis, but one of the great sports icons um, and legends in Central Indiana. Zero question about that. One of the great careers 
uh, without a doubt. Last night, I was conf- confused, Brendan and Eddie, for this reason. And maybe one of the two of you knows the answer to this. I'm counting on you, Brendan, to know this answer. Hit me. I mean, I think I kind of know the answer, but I don't know officially. Why were there two Monday night games last night? Has that kind of become the new I wondered about that. Right? Like towards the end of the year? I mean, yeah, at the beginning like, of the year, they're always on the, the opening Monday night, there's usually two games, right? I feel like there's always one now the week or two weeks before Christmas. I, I think it's because Christmas is on Monday and they're not going to – is that it? They don't have, do they not have a game scheduled for Monday night on Christmas night? Let's find out. Does the NBA kind of take over that? I, I didn't know if maybe do they were doing Christmas it that way. Football. I, I'm trying to think of – there's always a bowl game on Christmas Day. I don't yeah. ever remember NFL games on Christmas Day, right? That that Well, I mean, I remember the Colts played in the desert and the Carson Wentz that was year, Christmas right? Eve, wasn't it? They have three Christmas football Day. games was on Christmas Day. There is. Th- okay, yeah. so why is there not a Monday night game on Christmas? Is there a Monday night game? There's there three. So why were there two Monday night games last night? No idea. It's all Scheduling part of the new staffu. schedule. But yeah, you got... Now, I caught a lot of heat when I said this. It, granted, if it's an a late afternoon game, then that's different. What's the first game on Christmas Day, Eddie? The very first game on Christmas Day? Yes. It is... Oh, I just had it up. Dang it, it is the Ra- Raiders and the Chiefs. Thank you. Where is the game? Kansas City. What time does it kick? One o'clock. Okay, see, I, to me, personally... Zero chance that I would sacrifice being with my family on Christmas morning to go to an NFL game. Zero chance. Oh, that early for sure. Yeah, I, but there's. I mean, it's a. I mean, it's a triple head. I, I would say by four o'clock you're pretty safe, right? Because by yeah. then you're kind of winding down. But I'm sorry, especially if you are somebody with a family and with young kids. I agreed. You need to be with your family on Christmas morning, opening gifts, still in your PJs at noon. I mean, that's Christmas is the ultimate day of like family time and maybe it's just because i'm older and so now i've reached the age where you realize that that there have been years where people from your family from year from the christmas the year before are no longer there and so you're like i have to take advantage of this and that's going to mean far more to me in 20 years than a game against the kansas city chiefs and the raiders at arrowhead I, it just is tell you what swifty's gonna lose their mind if taylor's there i was about to say inversely though don't you think it's kind of cool that maybe a kid wakes up christmas morning and they get tickets to go see the chiefs play i mean here's a christmas um, where you get to go see patrick Mahomes and Travis if Kelsey, it's the know? only time that they ever get a chance yeah sure yeah but i think most kids to be honest with you even the most diehard of sports fans christmas is the one magical time of waking up and seeing the gifts you want to be around you want to play with your new toys and you want to be around in your new pajamas and i know not every kid has that i I get it eddie i get it yeah but i'm talking about as an adult right i mean as an adult especially if you are a parent i i I don't even have kids but i can't imagine telling my kids at like 10 30 on christmas morning like well i'd love to stay and help you put together your big wheel but unfortunately (laughs) the boys and i are tailgating out at arrowhead i I mean (laughs) I, I just can't imagine that going over well. They did get it right, though, with the night game, I will say. The game between uh, Raiders, Chiefs, is Giants, Eagles, but the nightcap yeah. could be a Super Bowl preview. Ravens, 49ers. The Which one is it? Raiders, 49ers is the nightcap on Christmas. Ravens. Could be a super, or Ravens. I was going to say Raiders. I'm like, I don't know why I said Raiders. The Raiders are playing play twice. twice. Yeah. They suck so bad Sorry. they're playing twice, <laughs> yeah. right? But yeah, Super Bowl preview possibly Ravens 49ers Christmas night 815 um, ESPN. Yeah, the that would be that's and you know what? Do you remember the, what happened the last time they played? 
The lights went out. Yeah, so Beyonce they, performed. So they could, right. actually, they could actually have the Ravens and the Niners play in a Super Bowl and then have everybody turn out their Christmas lights like at 11 p.m., right? Perfectly fitting. By the way, uh, last thing, and then we'll get back into sports, I promise. Matter of fact, this was Stephen sport? Holder going to join us at 1 o'clock. Well, you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Holder going to join us at 1 o'clock today. We'll talk about the Colts. Alex Golden going to join us at 2 o'clock for a little Pacers conversation on this Tuesday. How are you? Jimmy's still over in London. My name is Jake Quarry. You just heard from Brendan King and uh, Brendan I, – I almost said Brendan Cook again. Brendan King and Eddie Garrison here <laughs> on Quarry and Company on this Tuesday. Um so we got a Christmas tree. Shannon got it. I didn't get it. But Shannon got a Christmas tree, uh, fairly pricey. Do you guys do real or fake tree? Fake. We always, growing up, we did real. Yeah, and yeah. then we bought a fake one. So Shannon went and got a, a very pricey real tree. And we put she it in. She chopped it down by herself? Well, it didn't she didn't chop it down, but she did go to the to the farm, right? And they have them there. And a beautiful tree. And literally, it like four days in now, it's completely wilted, falling apart, and like oh, there's needles everywhere, and it's it's not taking any. I mean, I realize the roots aren't there, but it's taking no water, whatever. And now I think it's a fire hazard. So now she's she's contemplating punting on the whole thing, taking the whole thing down, going out, getting an artificial tree, putting it up, and then redoing all the decorations just for the safety of the house. Well, actually, that that, that seems like an okay plan, right? My first concern actually goes to your cat. A uh, cat lives the, with me. Yeah, trees oh, so at her you're house. good. All right, yeah, so he's yeah. good, but doesn't. She have a pet? She has two. That'd be Kobe and Joey. But That's they're right. very on top of things. Matter of fact, I, I'm not. I'm not going to lie to you. Kobe, a golden retriever. I think he's smoking meth in the basement anyway. <laughs> what is Joey? So they're used to the they're used to the smoke. What's, What's Joey? Uh, he's a he's a chug. A, a chug? Yeah, he's a chug. That's a half Chihuahua, half pug. Really? Uh huh. I think he's mostly pug, but huh. he's just chill. I didn't know that. Was See, my Joey. He's a, a chill pug. My Joey is a mini Australian Shepherd cattle dog. He's a psychopath. He is indeed. Does he blue? He is black, gray, white. So when you go to Outback Steakhouse, does he corral everybody in together into, uni- into perfect unison? <laughs> well, I can honestly say I've never taken him there, and I haven't been there since we've <laughs> taken him home with us. Okay, fair enough. Uh, we come back. We will talk actually about what happened in the NFL last night, but more specifically uh, how the AFC picture is shaping up for the Colts and what is happening in terms of their preparation now for the Pittsburgh Steelers, because it is a big one. We'll do that on the other side, and Stephen Holder at 1 o'clock as well. You're listening on a Tuesday to Quarian Company here on 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. If you were to look over the AFC, that's the American Football Conference. By the way, uh, Scotty Johnson just came in to explain to me the two Monday night football game deal and why it's played then, and I'm more confused now than I was before. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but I flunked algebra and geometry, um, geometry thrice and algebra seven times, and then I got a tutor and it helped me through it. But but in terms of this other stuff, uh, you can actually see. If you look closely, Brendan, you might see. Do you see anything there strange on the left side? That's smoke. No, it's part of my medulla oblongata that's melting out of my ear due to <laughs> Scotty explaining to me the week 18 playoff scheduling uh, and why there's no Monday night game. <laughs> but if you look at the NFL, one thing I can do is look at the NFL standings right now and realize that there is a massive log jam. Now, let me give you the teams that would be in contention for the wild card along with the Indianapolis Colts. That would be the Cleveland Browns the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Cincinnati Bengals, 
the Houston Texans and the Denver Broncos. There are a couple now that are like within like if a million things happen, but for the most part, that's what we're talking about. Now, among those, the team that you feel like right now is playing their best, just just by the eye test, Brendan King, the teams in the AFC right now that Indianapolis, they're literally, they're all sitting right now in the right lane. And there's a big sign up ahead that says, right lane ends. You got to merge over. And you're waiting for people to wait to, to, to wave you in, right? And t- Jacksonville is sitting there begging people to move into their lane. <laughs> yeah. They're begging them, right? But if you look at the teams that are right there with the Colts in contention for the wild card, which one, on to the eye test to you, Brendan, and yeah. I'll ask you first, Cleveland's 8-5, and five, but it feels like they're still kind of hanging on. Because how long can Joe Flacco do this, right? Yeah. But let me give you the teams again, and then I want you to tell me which one you find to be, you think of as the most dangerous. Like if if this was Survivor, and you could vote a team off the island, and you're that Rupert fella in your tie-dye, so you know how to do it, and you're strategic, and you're going to vote off the one that's the biggest threat to you, you can vote off Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Houston, Denver, Cincinnati, Buffalo. I, I forgot Buffalo. Which of those are you voting off? And the last one you said is what immediately came to mind because you know something that Chap talked about yesterday when we had him on is if they get in, Josh Allen's playing without. You're money. talking about Buffalo, right? Yeah. Okay. Here's the problem. So, so, so that's who you're going to take. Buffalo is right? my answer. Okay. Now Buffalo's remaining schedule. Buffalo's remaining schedule is Dallas at the Chargers. New England at home, and at Miami. Two of those, this Sunday is huge for Buffalo. Massive. Huge. Because you would think that against the Chargers and the Patriots, they got a pretty good chance. But if you put yourself in position where you lose this game and then you got to win out and you finish at Miami, your hope there is that Miami has everything clenched and is resting people and can't move their seed. That's a possibility for Buffalo. But still... Remaining schedule for Buffalo is such that if I'm playing Survivor and I'm going strategically in terms of who I can just have eliminated, I'm not so sure that Buffalo is who I'd pick. But I get what you're saying. Totally understand what you're saying. Eddie, your your team would be which? I was also going to go with Buffalo, even though Buffalo was the team that I predicted um, would miss the playoffs going into the season. I just think that offense has looked much, much much differently ever since they fired Ken Dorsey. Josh Allen looks more comfortable. They're getting the run game going a little bit more. They're not solely relying on Josh Allen to win with his right arm. So I would tend to go with Buffalo's off the But Buffalo's off the offering here because Brennan took him. Yours would be who? Again, I'll read them off to you. Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Houston, Denver, Cincinnati. I'd probably go Denver. Okay. I don't disagree with you. Denver seven and six. Think about Denver all of a sudden. And we had Brandon Cristal on from Denver a couple of weeks ago when the Broncos were struggling. And he's like, look, there's still faith that Sean Payton and Russell Wilson can get this figured out. And you thought to yourself, I don't know, Russell Wilson's like getting older. It seems like he kind of fell off a cliff. Sean Payton, I'm not sure what's going on there. He once flew on the same flight as Jake and Jake was in first class because he got bumped up and Sean Payton was in coach. How good a coach can he be? You know, okay, but... (laughs) <laughs> Remaining schedule for the Broncos at Detroit. Struggling. Needs a win, right? Yeah. But it's at Detroit. Patriots at home, Chargers, 
at Raiders. So the same weeks two and three in the last four as Buffalo. Correct. And then, the, but that's sandwiched between again at Detroit is huge for Denver because and keep in mind, I mean Denver's won what six of their last seven. Yeah. With that loss being to the Texans at Houston, but if they can get past Detroit, then all of a sudden they probably feel pretty good about it because you're going into. Patriots, Chargers, Raiders. And even more so, it was just announced as we were going on the air, Justin Herbert's out for the year. So he's done. So that, that again, and the Chargers in general, though, even with Herbert, oh, they, five oh, and eight, or, right? But still, I mean, there's your one piece. He was at least getting the ball so to for Keenan the Allen. Colts, and- he, the point of the exercise is this. There are teams there, Denver being one of them, where schedule is advantageous for them. Buffalo is probably the most naturally talented roster of those that that are in contention, but the schedule could help out the Colts in that regard. Then you get to, and this is what's interesting, you've left now Cincinnati, Houston, Pittsburgh, Cleveland. The Colts are in trouble with the Browns because they lost to them. There's the first tiebreaker, right? And they're a game behind them right now. Cincinnati. You need help because Cincinnati's tied with you, but first tiebreaker, Bengals won the head-to-head. You look at Cincinnati's remaining schedule, okay? Cincinnati's remaining schedule, Minnesota, pretty doable, one would think, right? Yeah, now Jefferson's hurt again. At Pittsburgh, so you got a little bit of cannibalizing there that helps you out. At Kansas City, and then Cleveland. So there's some cannibalization that takes place there. Does Cincinnati always finish with Cleveland, by the way? I feel like they do. The very first NFL game I ever went to was Browns and Bengals in 1979. It was like 15 degrees out. And I'm in watching... Cincy? In Cincy at Riverfront. My dad was like, we're finally going to go to an NFL game. We went down and I watched the battle between, I think it was probably Forrest Gregg's Cincinnati Bengals led by Ken Anderson and the fighting Brian Sipes of Sam Retigliano and the Cleveland Browns, and I loved every single second of it. To your point, Eddie, as a kid, I mean, I loved every second of it because I was at, at an NFL game, but I also wasn't still in the glow of new toys that I just opened from Christmas, for what that's worth. <laughs> um, hey, Jake, Colts have the tiebreaker over the Bengals. I, I don't think that's correct, right? Isn't the first tiebreaker head-to-head? Correct, every but other, since I, I there get, is such a logjam right now with 7-6 and six teams, the Colts are higher because of their record within the AFC. But if it came down to equal record at the finality of the season, if there was one spot and it became between the Colts and the Bengals and they were the exact same record, the Bengals would win that tiebreaker. Si, senor. Because the Bengals won the head-to-head. That's the first tiebreaker. Second tiebreaker would be conference record. Third tiebreaker would be divisional record. Then it comes down to -to head-to-head, right? And then it comes down to like internal AFC record, internal, or I'm sorry, um, head-to-head and then total points. Division, conference, right? No, it's conference and division. Yeah. So, first tiebreaker, head-to-head. Yep. Let's say the two teams didn't play each other or they played and they tied. Second tiebreaker, AFC record. If both teams are an equal record in the AFC, third tiebreaker, record within their own division. Mm -hmm. If, in fact, they have that. Coin flip. (laughs) Fourth fourth tiebreaker, I believe, then becomes um, point differential. Followed by, I think, strength of schedule. I forgot that one. Is it strength of schedule or strength of wins or something like like that? Yeah, like strength Strength of of victory. Yeah, which is kind of the same thing, right? Yeah. Like how many quality wins do you have? And then 
uh, the last one that it comes down to, maybe like total number of points. I mean, at that point, you're, you're it at that is point, it's not. infantile percentage that you're dealing with that. And then after that, it, it, this is and this is the amazing thing. Uh, the radio host of each respective city, they have a water chugging contest, which can be dangerous. Ooh. You know that, right? Yeah. Water. Not a... Yes. Water chugging contest. Okay. They had a... Um, H2O. They had an unfortunate situation with a ro- water chugging contest at a radio station years ago with listeners. And I'm, I'm not kidding. Like, I think so, I think people lost their job over it because it did not go well. I'll just say that. Yikes. It was tragic. Let's say well, that. I mean... Thank God the you know thank God it's not a beer chugging contest and the Colts are not in the NFC North. You know? Can, can you, you lose, imagine lose the to, beer chugging contest and it's Green the Bay. Packers? Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> They've just automatically given it to Green yeah. Bay. They're in, right? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, all those tiebreakers are. I mean, uh, this has nothing to do with the NFL. Not even close. But last night, uh, my friend's fantasy football league that I'm in, the last playoff spot came down to the fourth tiebreaker, which is point differential. That's, I mean, when you're starting, to, you mean between two teams? Yeah. For two of my buddies, one of them got into the fantasy football playoffs because it came they're, down to point differential. They're already in the playoff right now? We're going to the playoffs next week okay. in fantasy. Okay. I was they, the number one seed, by to, the way. They had to redo that because in the early years of fantasy football, no one had thought that ahead of time. Right. And the problem is people had, you know, Peyton Manning or you know priest homes or whatever else and terrell davis and oh, these players yeah, were getting into week 16 different. and they were resting them all out and so people are like wait a minute so now they have to do it that way brendan because if you have a player and, and, and that's what's interesting listen the nfl has been set up for years for years here's why the nfl is the 800 pound gorilla and i've spelled this out before but I'll, but i'll spell it again okay there are three reasons for that the NFL is the 800-pound gorilla in no particular order. But we could probably do it chronologically. The first was gambling. Yeah. Before it was legalized gambling with all of the apps in most states, people have been gambling since the beginning of time, right? So gambling gave interest to people that otherwise didn't have an interest in the game between the Vikings and the Cardinals. Yeah, the cavemen okay? were betting on water chugging contests. Correct. That's exactly correct, right? The second thing that made the NFL the 800-pound gorilla, aside from the fact that in the initial years, the scheduling was such that it was basically one day of the week, but you already had... So the guys that were gambling on it and had been watching it because it was every Sunday and that was the day that they got together and they were in their man cave, whatever else. But in, in order to make it in totality the popularity, people listening to my voice right now that... 15 years ago were not diehard NFL fans. Probably one of two things has gone into factoring why they are now big fans of the NFL. One of those is fantasy football. Well, I didn't really like fantasy football. And then Bill in accounting set up a league and I got in it. And boy, it turned out to be really fun. And now all of a sudden I had a reason to watch games because I had Larry Fitzgerald as my third receiver. Okay. The other was they brilliantly incorporated women, and I don't mean that condescendingly. I mean that that men who forever had their man cave and the wife was like, why are you watching games all day on Sunday? And then all of a sudden they came out and women started playing in fantasy football and enjoying that. So then they started marketing things towards women. Pink jerseys, things, things like you know, gear and paraphernalia for women. And so women became a fan of the NFL because it gave them something that they could do with their husbands and people began to watch games and go to games together. 
And then the last thing, which probably was the one that started the first, but is only in the last handful of years really cemented itself, and that is an orchestrated effort by the league to create league parity. Not parity, parity, P-A-R-I-T-Y. An equal footing for nearly every franchise. Baseball, Brendan, you love baseball, right? Yes. And you love the Cubs. Yep. And for the most part in your lifetime, certainly in your adult years, the Cubs have been competitive. Most of the time. Very very little when I was a kid, but yeah. But but for the most part, they have, they were not the they, inept franchise that most people grew up with. They, they were not the lovable losers. They were Correct. spending. They were from, spending. From yeah. 1910 to 1984, yeah. people that were Cubs fans, there was no greater time of year than spring training because hope springs eternal, and that was the year when pitchers and catchers reported, this is the year of the Cubs. This is the year of the Reds. This is the year of the Twins. When in reality, every year, it's the year of the Yankees, the year of the Red Sox, the year of the Dodgers, right? In totality, I'm saying. But that hope for Major League Baseball franchises is what draws in fans. It's what makes opening day in Cincinnati electric and a parade and people dressed up, you know, going crazy. In the NFL, they so strongly desired to have any given Sunday become a reality. And what they wanted more than anything else is exactly what you're seeing. And that's a traffic jam of seven and six teams. Some can say, as I have at times, it's the vat of the media, a vat of mediocrity. But it's also equal footing where every single Sunday into late November, early December, whatever else, you still feel on Sunday. I got to watch the game because my team they could win. They could win. It's not the the years of I've got to go to the Colts game because Zoop is lifting tractors out front and Ray Compton is like juggling swords on Capitol Avenue because there's a chance if Mike Pagel has a great game that they might come within 17 points of Dan Marino and the Dolphins and the 25,000 Mark Clayton jerseys inside the Hoosier Dome which is what it once was right but now it is this is this is exactly what the NFL wants and you can look at it one of two ways you can say that it is frustrating as it from a fan base because you're you're right there and you can't pull away from your competition or you can say it's exciting as hell because here we are in the middle of December and we're talking about a playoff opportunity for any of like seven different franchises. Okay. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Okay, I've done this before. I did it with Kevin Bowen and Mark Dykton on a regular. But, you know, they tell us in radio that the the audience rehashes every 22 minutes. So I'm going to take the risk that I'm going to speak to this to an audience that's never heard it before. The opening line of that song, Brendan, he says what? Shot through the heart and you're... Say it one more time. Shot through the heart. Eddie Garrison, he says what? Shot through the heart and you're to blame. Okay. I thought forever, and I cannot be the only one. Hit it one more time, Eddie. Just the opening line there. Hit it one Three, more time. Three, two, one. There you go. Forever, when that song came out in 1986 or I think 86, I thought it was shock to the heart. Shock to the heart, and you're to blame. I, I literally, it wasn't until like the iPhone. When it sends the lyrics, 
that you can read the lyrics, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's shot through the heart. Now, the other one that I constantly get wrong, pull up Edge of 17 by Stevie Nicks, Eddie Garrison. Okay. You, you guys would know the song by title, but you'll know the song as soon as you hear it. I want to know from Brendan King, since you guys just went 2-0 against me on this one. On this next one, I'm, I want to know. I'm not a next guy, so. But I know, lose. but you'll know the song. Okay. I, I want to know what you think she is saying, okay? Is this right at the start, or is there a spot where right I need at to the queue start, up? Right at okay. the start, okay? I have an ad to go through, so. Well, it has music that plays first, but then she starts singing, okay? So here we okay. go. Here I haven't, I'm. Currently waiting for the ad to finish. So. Oh, okay. Oh, speaking of ads, you were going to say something. Speaking about of it. ads, by the way, there's one of them on Twitter right now, X, whatever you want to call it, and I get it. Ads pay the bills. I get it. I don't blame them for incorporating advertising into the social media app. It's how they make money, and it's 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 a free app, right? But there's an ad right now that I think is like a like a spam ad, and I don't mean for the delicious imposterating and you know fake meat. I, I mean actual, and, and there is a. There's a spam ad that keeps showing up on my timeline, and it's for a NASA-produced engineering-like disc that you put in your car that prohibits snow from accumulating on your windshield, which apparently is totally fake. But literally, it's now up to the point where it's like every fifth thing on my timeline when I scroll, and it's from a billion different I'm accounts. Trying to make it, a, <laughs> it how it much is, is a gabillion, by the way? You said that me, a lot this week. Uh, it's just slightly more than a billion. Okay, got it. It's between Wouldn't billion it be more and trillion. Than, okay, between those two. Got it. Uh, Shohei Atani, by the way, deferring <laughs> close to a billion. Yeah. Oh, okay. by the way, that is. Not so here we go. 2062. Stevie Nicks. Go ahead and play it, Eddie. Okay, what does she say there? What kind of dove is it? Play it one more time. She repeats it so you can play it again. I always I always said when I was a kid, like just like the wild things are when I was okay. a kid. Yeah. I, I get it. Yeah. Okay, Eddie. Just like a white-winged dove. You looked at it. No. Forever, 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 I thought it was a one-winged dove. A dove with one wing. That makes no sense, granted, but play it one more time. And listen to now. I'll I'll sing along with Stevie here. You ready? Here we go. Okay. One-winged dove. (laughs) Okay. Wait, Wait a little breathe, Eddie. Thanks. Yep. I so we had a karaoke on Greeny before we went on the air. Now we get Jake Query. I'm just telling you, that? That, those things always befuddle me. Always befuddle me. Uh, Stephen Holder going to join us in just a couple of minutes. Last night, your thoughts on the Pacers game. Benedict Mather and obviously the story, right? Took care of business when you needed to. I mean, in what was, you talked about it yesterday with Dustin. Obvious trap game. You're able to get a win. But still, I agree with what Dustin said. And the NBA's got to take a look next year at scheduling after the in-season tournament. Now, I'm sure the NBA didn't expect to see the Pacers there in the championship or in Vegas for that matter. And there are teams you probably don't have to worry about with that. But just when you make the schedule next year, maybe don't send a team that even has a shot or a lick at the in-season tournament Vegas section. Don't send them on a long road trip right after. You know, the it was the, the perfect proverbial trap game, though. It was. Because, and I think that that actually shows... I'm not going to say a maturity by the Pacers because it's not like there is an example you can use in the past where you'd say, you know, last year's team would have gone in and completely rolled over in that game or that kind of thing. But it is the side that is what a mature team does is goes into that game and, and just is aware of the potential letdown from it. And I don't really understand. I mean, Detroit obviously is historically bad. 
But I don't really understand why, because they do have players. And a good coach. It, correct. I mean, it, you know what I mean? They have all of that, right? And, and I mean, it is, maybe it's rebuild time. Uh, maybe it's learning process time. You know, I don't know. Um, but nonetheless, it, it was the perfect situation. Now, for, for the Pacers, the, the challenge is going to be to kind of maintain that focus or stay on that accelerator because you're away from home for a while now. For a while. And... You know, you've got the schedule is such that, and they knew it. But Eddie, you were saying, I mean, you obviously are the producer for the radio broadcast. I mean, yeah. it's a while before they're back here, right? Yeah, they're not back here for I think two weeks. And Kevin Bowen put it nicely last, uh, worded it perfectly last night on Twitter, or as I like to call it, Twix. He just called it a professional win uh, for the Pacers. And after the game, Rick Carlisle spoke to the media, and that was probably the very first thing he said. This is one of the most difficult games you can have coming off of the emotions of of last week, the game Saturday, uh, the travel. I just thought our guys did a great job of staying together, keeping their composure and their aggression. So now they go at Milwaukee, at Mm -hmm. Washington, and at Minnesota. Now, the you know, Milwaukee is going to be tough. One of the things that Carlisle mentioned this morning, and I think it's a really good point, about the play-in tournament, or excuse me, the in-season tournament. The one drawback for it is this. By all of those games but the Laker game are reflected in your schedule, in your record. When it comes time to playoff seating and et cetera, it's reflected. For Indiana, the challenge is you got to the point where you win your first whatever it was three games and then all of a sudden now you're having to go up against like Milwaukee in, in the quarterfinal and the semi you know Milwaukee Boston um actually inverse order there but you are strengthening the opponents that you're playing against and it's going into your regular season whereas if you had not I I guess the the trade-off is it, that's because you got wins so it kind of balances out maybe in other words, you could say, well, if they'd have lost that game to you know Cleveland or Atlanta, they would have had an easier two games there towards the end of that tournament, but that would have come because they lost games. So I guess it balances out in the wash, so to speak. But it is tough to go against Milwaukee again after you just obviously played them. Then again, at Washington, at Minnesota, those two games, pretty doable. Then home against the Clippers and the, the Hornets before you go back on the road again and go to Memphis. So... Um, Busy stretch for them over the next eight days, but they are not home again until uh, Monday, right, Eddie? Yeah, Monday so, against the Clippers. Yeah, when I said two weeks, it was from the start of this road right. trip. Well, that's yeah, or from when the they, last time they, they played knew, the Celtics, they knew when they played Boston. You know, Carlisle talked about that this morning. They they left knowing that they were going to have to either go to New York or then go out. You know, it. it they left not knowing who they were going to play, but knowing that they weren't going to be playing again at home, to your point, for several days. Uh, Stephen Holder is at home. Going to talk Colts with us. He's going to do it next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I want to ask Stephen Holder how he hears this. Can he hear it, you think? Steven, when Stevie Nicks is singing that right there, Stevie Nicks, Stephen Holder, uh, make, make acquaintance with one another. Uh, what, do, what do you think she's saying? What kind of dove is she singing about there? 
Um, I have no idea. I, I've heard that song before. I am not really super familiar with the lyrics. Um, so I don't know. I'd need to listen more carefully, maybe. But do you know? Now, could you hear it right there when we played it? I heard it, but I was I was distracted. Okay. Now, now, I need you to be not distracted, Stephen. We're doing very professional radio here, okay? That's true. That's okay. true. I, Eddie, I am play, part of the Play company. it one more time, Eddie. That's right. You are part of the company. You're, part, you're the director of professionalism. Eddie, one more time, play it. And Stephen, listen closely. Okay, what kind of dove? I, I don't know. I, I think I'm an idiot. I don't know. What am I missing? Well, she says white-winged dove, and apparently I'm an idiot because I never knew it was white-winged dove. I'm fairly certain she's saying one-winged dove. And here I was for like 40 oh. years thinking that she was philanthropic singing about a disadvantaged dove, right? <laughs> so, wait. So what are the lyrics? Just, what are the actual lyrics? Just like the white-winged dove. Oh, and you thought it was one wing. Yes. Okay. I thought the whole time, like, it was super so impressive sad. this dove was flying around with one wing. That would be so sad. <laughs> oh, right? That would it's, be terrible. Right. Well, a one wing dove, yeah. like, you know, peace is, peace is in jeopardy because the dove only has one wing. It could go down at any moment. You know what I mean? <laughs> if I, this reminds me of the time my, my sister, uh, when we were kids, I think found like an injured dove in the backyard and like tried to hang on to it and in this makeshift cage I, I think it was like a milk crate or something she put over it and it was like this was the most like the most haphazard thing it was it was it was kind of like a hood pet did the dove make it uh it I, it died, <laughs> it, died. Okay. it was because but probably because it wasn't eating we didn't, i don't know that she fed it i was like this was a very ill-conceived. What did you grow up with, Prince? He, here's the thing: you, you grew up in Miami, though. That wasn't a dove. That was a that was a seagull. Just so you know, or or like one of those white pigeons or something. <laughs> right, I don't know. right. Um, <laughs> Probably. Hey, okay. Let's terrible segue here, but nonetheless, um, which which Colts right now? Speaking of injuries, right. I, I thought Juju Prince might have been ready to go. Obviously, needs more time. Wasn't there for Cincinnati. The Colts are a little banged up in that defensive backfield. Where do things stand first and foremost? And I know that like this week they haven't done anything yet, so it's kind of hard to say. But uh, you know, is where are we in particular with Brents? That is a huge mystery. And the update as of today, just leaving uh, the facility now. The update as of today is uh, there may be an opportunity this week for him, but I, I don't know what to make of it. I mean. Juju Brents is walking around the locker room every day on two legs. Um, that doesn't mean anything, but I'm just saying he, he looks like a guy who's pretty mobile. Um, he's, he's been saying for weeks that he's close, but uh, he has been intentionally vague about the details of his injury, and I think he's taking his cues from his head coach. They all do now. Uh, they're, they're walking and talking um, – Steichenism now, you know, or Steichen's language, I guess. So anyway, it, it's become pretty difficult to get details when when you have, you know, one of these ongoing situations like that. So I don't know. I, I wish I could be more specific, but I, I, I can't right now. But I, I will say you are correct. Uh, they really do miss him. Uh, the depth in the uh, defensive backfield has been an issue all year. And I think you, you really miss it against a team like Cincinnati and so people ask, you know, why did they give up those big screens, those big screen plays? Part of the part of the reason, and part of the answer is because uh, they were very 
they played very soft uh, against those receivers and played very deep. So it, it gave away a lot of underneath stuff because uh, they were, frankly, very afraid to give up big plays in the passing game against Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, for example. So they did a good job. It, it was effective. That that strategy was effective to some degree, but it also uh, wound up meaning that they gave up those those big screen plays, uh, three of them alone for 124 yards. Hey, Stephen, looking at the run game, and you know Zach Moss has not been able to replicate yet what he did at the start of the season, and maybe that was why the Colts' run game was so satisfying because Moss was doing what you would think Jonathan Taylor would have done to begin the season. So that's not happening right now. And when Taylor had the surgery, I think the first number that came back was two to three weeks, right? And you know Shane right. Steichen staying t- saying today when he was asked, you know, is the plan for him to come back and play this season? You know, he's saying that's the plan. Uh, is, is there an urgency? that you can sense to get Taylor back out there quicker than anticipated because Moss has not been able to replicate what he did to begin the campaign? Well, I mean, if, if there was if – if he was able to play, they'd put him out there. But I, I think there is legitimate concern about his ball handling, you know, if he's not quite ready. And that's the thing. I mean, if he – if you're talking about an injury to a, a different extremity – there might be a different calculation, uh, but here you're talking about the ball security and there's nothing more important than the ball. I just think that's going to have to be a, an ongoing evaluation, and, and they can't really take chances on that. If, he, if they're not sure, I just think he has to sit. You know, I mean, it, it's not worth the trade-off if you're not sure that he can hang on to the football. You know, it's not worth the trade-off of putting him out there when you're less than certain that he'll have good ball security. It's just, you just can't do it. So I think they're in a different circumstance with a different injury. They might handle it differently. They might push him along and, and make him uh, or allow him maybe to get back out there before he's hundred percent. But I mean, here, I just think you really have to be careful and tread lightly. And I think they will. Steven, Steven holders, our guest, by the way, from ESPN, he joins us here on the program talking about the Colts. Um, when you look at, this matchup, and I know that we're probably getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but what we know about Pittsburgh is this. Historically speaking, the Colts have struggled with that franchise. Historically speaking means nothing because, you know, I don't see necessarily like Neil O'Donnell going out there, right? Right. That said, what we know now is that Mitchell Trubisky will be under center and that uh, Kenny Pickens, his little hands, won't be out there. <laughs> How much does that change Pittsburgh? We look at it and we go, well, man, they're down their starter. But Trubisky's an experienced guy, and is there a huge drop-off from one to the other? No, for me, the big concern is still the defense. I don't think it changes how I see that team. Uh, they're a team that that is going to thrive if their defense thrives. Uh, they have not been putting up huge offensive numbers at all this year, I mean, even with their starting quarterback. So I'm not saying there's no difference. But, but I don't think it's going to be the difference in this game. You know, I, I just don't believe that to be the case. Uh, this is a, an aggressive defense, a physical defense. You know, we'll see what happens with T.J. Watt and his, uh, I believe he's still in concussion protocol, which would be a huge, frankly, a huge break for the Colts if he doesn't play, let's just be honest. I mean, given what we saw uh, against Trey Hendrickson uh, against Cincinnati the other day, and the struggles the Colts had blocking him, uh, I mean, 
I shuddered to think what it might look like against T.J. Watt, who is as good as it gets. Uh, I think he, he is on par, obviously, with Miles Garrett, and you saw what Miles Garrett did. Uh, so you're talking about the elite of the elite, and the Colts have had, you know, have had some, some struggles against guys like that this year. So that's really, that's really what it's going to boil down to, how they handle that defense and, and whether they can allow Minshew to stay clean and whether they can generate some, some running game uh, to, to get some balance back. I mean, this is the other thing I'll mention here, and I'll move on. I wrote a story today about the, the struggles of the running game. And right now, again, this is an oversimplification, and I, I tweeted this, so I admit to that. However, just look at the raw numbers. With Jonathan Taylor in the lineup this season, the Colts, 4.4 yards per carry. That's pretty good. That is top 10 in the league in those particular games, in that span of games. Seven games, I think. And games without Jonathan Taylor. So talking about while he was on the pup list and during this current stretch where he has been uh, or he underwent thumb surgery. 3.6 yards per carry. So 4.4 versus 3.6. Maybe it doesn't sound like a lot, but you multiply that over dozens and hundreds of carries, and that's a ton of yards over the course of the season. Stephen Holder is our guest. Stephen, I want to go back to Brennan's question about the running game and Zach Moss. You know, obviously Taylor out. Um, I'll begin with the Taylor side of things. We haven't really discussed this with you much. Do you believe the Colts were 100% absolutely, understandably on board with the surgery that has shelved Jonathan Taylor, or would they have liked to have seen him get a little duct tape and play through it? No, uh, the sense that I got was was that it, it, it would have been difficult. Um, the stability of the of the ball as he's carrying it would have would have made you know rehabbing it versus having surgery difficult. Okay, so you had to fix it, is what I understand. Yeah. In terms of their inability to effectively run the ball against Cincinnati, I mean, how much of that's on the Bengals, and how much of that is a was that like an anomaly, or as I always say, at the end of year. Sometimes things that percolated over the course of the year all start to show themselves in mass. Was there smoke and mirrors about the Colts running game earlier in the year, or was this a one-game anomaly? Well, I would say it's actually not a one-game anomaly because you saw it the previous week against Tennessee as well. That's the problem. I think if this were the first time we had seen that kind of rushing performance, that would be one thing. But I, I don't think it was. I mean, again, uh, Tennessee, I think they were, they were under three yards per carry against Tennessee, also without Taylor. And then this week, under three yards per carry again. That's not sustainable. I mean, it, you're, you have to have a, a pretty prolific passing game, as they did in Tennessee, to win when, when that's the kind of rushing production you're getting. You can do it, and teams do do it. I mean, the Buffalo Bills have had situations like that you know, over the last few years where they didn't really try to run the football very much. They didn't generate much, but they, they had a prolific passing game. And their quarterback often ran for a lot of yards. So in a very specific situation, you can overcome that, but it, it has to be a very narrow situation. And, and that is not the Colts right now. They don't have a prolific passing game. Uh, do I think they were smoking mirrors early? Um, what I'd say is, I think teams have a better read on how to defend them now with Gardner Minshew as opposed to when he was just becoming the starter 
and also in and out of the lineup, you know, as Anthony Richardson kind of had those brushes with injuries early on before the, the season-ending injury. So the situation now is different. I mean, they have, I don't know how many games has Gardner Minshew started, right? I mean, uh, nine, eight or nine, you know, so they have a lot of film. They have their tendencies. They have their likes and dislikes, all of that. It makes it tougher, no doubt about it. Stephen Holder is our guest from ESPN. Uh, Stephen, obviously much better at deciphering and breaking down the NFL games and film than he is rehabilitating peaceful birds that simply were trying to go through the backyard and get a little something to eat in Miami some years ago. This is my uh, sister, man. This is all her fault. <laughs> she should have let this. I mean, no, hold on. I, I just left it to die. Older or you, Okay, okay. Here we go. I mean, great signs of peace. Older or younger sister? Younger sister. Younger. Well, She's then, a baby. Steven, you, per, you were in charge. How can yeah. we trust you? Well, yeah, I, I wasn't exactly uh, living up to my expectations, I suppose. Yeah. So, uh, all right, I'll take that. I'll take that. How can he be our oh. director of professionalism? <laughs> <laughs> no. You have been you have been absolutely demoted, Stephen. You are on probation, and if we had an HR department, you'd report to him tomorrow. But we don't, so well, you're probably safe, right? Good thing we're short-staffed. <laughs> hey, um, what is the what's the area of the Colts? We focus so much on this show, Stephen, on, you know, we focus so much on, like, ball security. Obviously, you know, the defensive backfield, as we talked about with Juju Brents being out. And then all of a sudden, usually towards the end of the year, something happens to a team and you look at it and go, you know, the warning was there all along and that's the one warning light we just didn't pay attention to. What area is that of the Colts that is a bigger concern than we publicly talk about? Um, I, I mean, I think <laughs> we probably have talked a lot about Gardner Minshew, but I mean, they, they've been, <laughs> they have been kind of piecing their passing game together. You know what I mean? And so it, it, this isn't necessarily meeting the qualification of your question because you said the area we don't talk about enough and we do, but I, I just think – I would say this. Nationally, it's been kind of interesting. Nationally, when I do interviews, be it on ESPN radio or whatever, right, I get a lot of questions about, well, I mean, how about that Gardner Minshew? Man, what a, what a year that guy's having. And it puts me in this situation where I have to kind of, like, set the record straight, but I have to do it without, like, slapping the guy over the head and, and insulting him because I don't think his play has been awful. I just I don't, but I also don't think it has been spectacular, you know. So <laughs> it's just a, it's an interesting narrative that's out there, and and a lot of times you know the broadcasters come into town, they see a couple of games of the Colts, and so you know they're making their their judgments based on a very small sample size. It's not anybody's fault. I'm not I'm not blaming anyone. I mean, we all do it, you know, for teams that we're not as familiar with. But it's it's just kind of interesting how that's how that's kind of taken shape this year and that narrative's taken shape. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, we should probably be giving more credit to Shane Steichen, <laughs> to be completely honest. Um, so not a great answer to your question, but it is, I have, I have kind of enjoyed watching that play out or like, let me put it this way. It's been interesting to watch that narrative take shape. And, and then, you know, when he doesn't perform well, then it's kind of like, well, you know, 
kind of told you that. But but no, they they everybody involved has done a good job. We're we're Minshew has, I think, acquitted himself well. Not this week, but um, in in previous weeks, is that and Rick Venturi actually kind of crystallized this for me in a in a recent conversation. He said his ability to shake off bad plays is elite, and it really is. And and he needs that, right? Because he does make some mistakes sometimes. And you, you these head scratching decisions, and you're like. Stephen, we lost you there for a second, so pick up where you were talking about how he does make some head scratching plays. Yeah, well, he'll he'll make the head scratching play, but his one of his greatest abilities is as uh, as I said, Rick Venturi and I talked about this the other day. He helped crystallize it for me. He said, you know, he'll make a bad play, and then what does he do? Like in Tennessee, uh, he may he makes a bad decision. They almost get intercepted on that game winning drive, and then what's he do? He turns around and he rips one for fifty five yards to Alec Pierce like nothing ever happened. That's a great quality. It's a great quality because, I mean, look, I mean, he's an imperfect quarterback, and that's okay. We know that. But he does have the ability to, to bounce back from that and to, and to make plays that are, that are really impressive in the face of, uh, in the face of a, a bad play. You're not getting pulled over, are you, Stephen? I, I hear the no, gendarmes in the No, having a bad day, though, because someone's going to the hospital. So. Okay, well, <laughs> we hope everybody's okay. Um, yeah. Hey, Stephen, who's made more money for themselves in the last five weeks, Michael Pittman or Grover Stewart? Hmm. Well, Michael Pittman, because his contract's going to be bigger. But I do agree with the premise, though, when you mentioned uh, Grover Stewart. I mean, <laughs> now, it wasn't maybe quite as evident this week because they didn't have a great day defensively. But I would argue that, that Grover Stewart's presence in the middle actually – you know, probably influenced the Bengals to not try to run there as much. And and that's where those screenplays maybe come in. You know, that was a, an intentional game plan by them. Uh, their game plan was certainly not to run up the middle. That is certainly not the case. I mean, they, were, they had some runs to the outside, uh, but they were not trying to run up the middle of the field, um, given the presence, I presume, the presence of, of Grover Stewart. But, uh, but Michael Pittman, though, I, I would say – Give him credit. I mean, he's the one guy who unequivocally showed up on Sunday. You know, his consistency is absolutely impressive. It's it's one of the best things about him is that he consistently shows up. And I love that he makes those plays even though the defense knows he's getting the ball. You know, and, and I think in talking to, like, a Isaiah McKenzie today, we were talking about this whole – argument about well is he a number one receiver or is he not and and as isaiah said he said look i, I don't care man he says he's our number one receiver he says they know where the ball is going and he makes those plays in spite of it i mean it's a big compliment to be able to say look we're going to throw you the ball no matter the defense no matter the coverage no matter how much attention you're drawing i mean that says something about a guy and and that's the way the colts have, have conducted themselves uh, throwing to Gardner Minshew this season. Excuse me, throwing to Michael Pittman this season from Gardner Minshew. Stephen, I've also got a this or that for you. Ronnie Harrison, product of the system, or is there some untapped potential there? There could be some untapped potential. I, I don't think we have enough sample size to know, but um, I would say that his his uh, you know defensive back skills certainly have come in handy a couple of times. I don't think that's a coincidence, you know, that he has made those plays on the ball. Um, what other linebacker has two interceptions this year? I'm not sure any of them do. Uh, he has 
He has a, a nose for the ball. And, and uh, you know, one of the first interception he made, which I think was against, I can't remember, Tampa Bay maybe, um, that was, I'm not saying it was the, the, the toughest play in the world, but if you look at the one on Sunday, that's just an instinctive play. I mean, he's playing the ball as much as the man, and that's what you're taught as a defensive back, right? You're, you're taught to play the football, and, and that's just more instinctive for you. So I think that showed up uh, in the play that he made on Sunday. And, look, I, I mean, we'll see. I mean, I, again, we need more of a sample size and just his, his overall uh, linebacker playing ability. But, you know, for a guy this deep into his career, I think this is his fifth season or something like that. And for a guy this deep into his career to make a, a position change and, and to be able to be a, a, a viable starter in a pinch like that, I mean, that says a lot about your ability just as a football player, period. Steven, probably at this point fading in relevance, but still topical. Uh, what did you think of, if at all, Shaquille Leonard's performances, assuming that you saw some of what he was able yeah. to do against Dallas? I did see it. Um, I thought, look, I mean, he he moved pretty well. I mean, as as well as I've seen him move this year. You know, whether that's good enough to be the old Shaquille Leonard, that's a different question. Um, you know, but look, he's probably still a little timid just because, He's trying to kind of, you know, learn learn the scheme and, and understand where he's supposed to be all the time and all that. So, you know, probably not the best game to judge him by. Um, but, look, he, he's going to have to adapt to a, a very small role. That's pretty clear. I mean, he's not going to play a ton. And, and even if he – even when he gets the scheme down and he, he has a better understanding, I still don't think he's going to be a guy who, who plays you know, wire to wire for, for Philadelphia short of, you know, additional injuries. So – but good for him. I'm happy for him. I hope I hope the Eagles go a long way and uh, he gets a chance to enjoy the ride. Because um, he, you know, he's, he's a good good guy, good player, and um, I still wish him the best. Lastly, we had a guy on uh, before the Colts Bucks game from Tampa, an area that where you used to work. Obviously, you're a native yeah. of Florida. I have probably asked you this privately before. I'll ask you publicly now. You know, you, you would have known no different. I realized that when you were a kid growing up, but all of the imagery, all of the songs, all of the the legend of Christmas is about snow and bells and sleigh riding and big coats on Santa and and all of and you know what I mean and chimneys and all of it, right? Yeah. Was it odd? I mean, I guess you knew no different, but was it weird living in for you a warm weather shorts and t-shirt climate? At Christmas time, <laughs> well, your your instinct is right. I mean, we, I didn't know any better, so it's what we knew. But I, it was very conflicting, like watching the Christmas specials. You know, be it you know, whatever you know, your favorite Christmas movie yeah. is, Frosty or and, the Abominable Snowman or yeah, any of it, right? And having yeah, and having no understanding whatsoever of what any of that stuff was like. <laughs> so it's completely unrelatable to you. It's completely unrelatable. I always tell this all the time. I think I, I've probably said this to you. I mean, growing up, what you wanted for Christmas was a bike. Why? Because everybody got a bike for Christmas. And on, on that afternoon, everybody meet on, you know, on the corner and they all ride your bikes on Christmas afternoon. We ain't riding bikes on Christmas afternoon in in Indianapolis for the most part, at least not for fun, right? <laughs> you know, so yeah, it 
it's a culturally just a completely different thing and very strange. Uh, there was, though, um, in the year of my birth, 1976, uh, we had a trace of snow in South Florida. Not on Christmas, but, uh, but there was a trace of snow. The only time on record that I'm aware of, 1976, you can look that up, in, in Miami, there, was a, there were flurries. And, um, known, yeah. known affectionately there as the blizzard of 76, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was awful. It was awful. So, you know, there was a, I don't know if you know this or not, but Scarface had a blizzard of 81 in Miami in the area as well. Right. Just so we yes, know. Um, that one, that one definitely was a blizzard. That, yes. <laughs> now, Stephen, here's the thing. You had to have been also miffed by the fact that a guy was able to pull around a sleigh with flying reindeer and you couldn't save a bird. That's fair. That's fair. But also, but along the same lines, though, of, of you know, just being unrelatable. Like, how was the sleigh coming to my house when when it's seventy degrees on Christmas? Right? Like, how did that not click for me that's, when I was a kid? I must have been an a idiot. Good point. That's a good point. Well, Santa, he's got on a speedo under the coat, just so you know, Steve. Right. Just for I mean, when he like, has to go south. Okay. Well, he goes around. Sense. He goes the whole world, so he goes to warm places as well. So he packs accordingly, Stephen. Uh, Stephen Holder, ESPN. Dumb. They they really think little of kids. Like they just don't. They don't. Come think on, we're very kids. Kids listening. It's the <laughs> hey magic now, of Christmas. I was about to say, don't spoil it now for any kids that are out there listening. <laughs> uh, Jake it's and the Steven. magic of Christmas. That's the magic, the beauty of Santa Claus, and why he's able to go around the world. In he's one amazing. Evening. He is that. He's amazing. He is exactly that. Uh, Stephen Holder, ESPN. Appreciate the conversation. We'll talk to you next week. All right. All right. See you guys. Thanks, Stephen. I appreciate this. Somebody just sent me a text. Jake, I'm 59 years old. That's the first time I have ever heard of the fact that it is not the one-winged dove. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, right? I have an all-time Christmas bird story for you. Does it involve um, a dinner, by chance? No. No. But I'll tell you after the timeout. Oh, all right. We'll do do it on the other side. Alex Golden, 2 o'clock. You know what we should... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Do, Eddie, to stay in theme, I'm going to make an official show declaration here. You ready? Okay. We each play a song or request a song that we didn't know the lyrics to. Well, that's also good. I was going to say songs related to birds for the rest yeah, of the show. Yeah, I thought you were going to play Surfing Bird coming whether, out of this. Whether we're going to play the birds, whether you want to play When Doves Cry, which would have been totally appropriate since uh, Stephen's sister's dove probably struggled. Uh, you can play the eagles, even though I think they're incredibly sleepy, whatever it might be, um, for the rest of the program. Although, mistaken lyrics, also a good topic for sure. Although, we, when we had uh, Brendan King in a couple weeks ago for Jimmy right. while he was out, we didn't hire him as a part of the company. Can we hire him yet? Yeah, is anything open? Uh, we're not taking interns. You said yet. that two weeks ago. Uh, well, well, see, we're... the director of professionalism is open since Stephen Holder got relegated back to Can I apply for something and then you can look after the holidays? I got news for you guys, and it's disappointing, I realize. Eddie, could you check real quick on your uh, your phone and see what the temperature forecast is for the next few days? Um, okay. Uh, like tomorrow morning. So if so, we were to meet about this and talk about this in the morning, uh, Tomorrow, Thursday, or Friday, rest of the week, tell me the temperatures when you get up in the morning. Like if we come in here about 7. Do you 27 mm-hmm. degrees in the okay. morning Yep. for tomorrow. Uh-huh. Next. Uh, I'm trying to look at Thursday. 26. Yep. Friday. About the same. 29. Yeah. Well, I got news for you. Those are all under 32, which is applicable because we're on a hiring freeze. 
right? So, Brendan, I, you know, we'll, we'll we'll do what we can here, but Jimmy's on vacation. We well, can't just surrender what. his seat just yet, right? I'll tell you what. I'll leave you my resume. He was quick can, to, you, can, you can let me know after the holidays. He was quick to get rid of my position when I was gone for a week. And Nathaniel Finch was in here filling in, and he immediately got hired, so I yeah, don't know well, what it it's is. It's because Nathaniel shares the same name as Atticus Finch, and you want scruples within your company, right? Mm. Hopefully, uh, Jimmy doesn't get brought in for any UK jury duty, huh? <laughs> that I just hope he can get his I wonder luggage. how their jury system works, <laughs> right? They're going to find out who Jack the Ripper was. He's going on trial. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> just hope he can get his luggage. Huh? The, um, they lost his luggage. Did they really? Mm-hmm. That's a, that is how a, much chief stuff was That's in a rookie there? mistake. I don't there. know. Hopefully you know, he didn't bring his uh, Chiefs the wedding, wedding band. band. Oh, yeah. What's he going to wear on Sundays? It's probably in his luggage. Yeah. All unless right, he, so unless gotta, he flew out on Sunday, in which point he was wearing his Chiefs band and his wedding band is in his lost luggage. Good call, Jake. Very good call. How about that? Wow. That would be an issue. <laughs> uh, okay, Brendan, you had a bird, you had a bird story? Is that I, right? I do have a Christmas bird story for you. So when I was a kid, we, I wasn't allowed or my sister and I, we weren't allowed to have a dog yet because my dad's opinion on dogs definitely shifted. So he hated dogs and he liked dogs. There was a key transition. Anyway, we did not have a pet in the King household. So my mom didn't like cats. No offense, Jake. Understood. So the general consensus was we could get a pet, but it could not be a dog or a cat. And we didn't want to go fish route. So we thought maybe about a bird. So we went to the mall, my sister and I, and we asked Santa, who was filling in for the real guy, of course, as always, that's how mall Santas work. We asked, can we, have, can we do a bird? Can we have a bird? He said, you know what? I'll work on it. So my parents then spoke with Santa. Mm-hmm. They called up to the North Pole and they said, here's what we'll do. Santa told us that we can go get the bird and he'll bring you the cage and the food and everything, right? So I didn't know the second half of this story until later. So we woke up on Christmas morning. There it was, the cage, the food, everything that you need for a parakeet. But there was no bird. So I asked my parents, and they said, oh, Santa actually said he's going to bring it. Just give it a few days. What ended up happening was my parents... Went to the pet store. Purchased. Santa went to the pet store. Well, no, because remember they talked with Santa and they said, Santa said you could go get the bird. Okay, gotcha. Right? So my parents went to the pet store, purchased the parakeet. Christmas morning, they went back downstairs, opened the box. Parakeet's no longer with us. Really? Yeah. You mean no longer with us like the parakeet was a uh, perished keet or like um, uh, the 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 parakeet parakeet was like the bird in Dumb and Dumber? Okay. Where so, he was no longer with us. So so the parakeet didn't fly the coop. The parakeet... <laughs> no, wait a minute. Your parents wrapped the parakeet in a box and then wondered no, why... No, no, no. So they, they put the parakeet in like a box with air holes. Right. Okay. Right. And But the next morning he was perished. So did you get a replacement parakeet? We did. Okay, good. And that, and, and, <laughs> we did. And we named him Frosty. And the, now, just the, out of curiosity, the initial parakeet, so you, you were not aware. I was not aware of this until much later. Okay. So, Frosty the parakeet lasted how long? Oh, he he was a good bird. He he stayed many, many years. What is the eight, What is the life expectancy of a you parakeet? You know what? I forgot how old he was when he passed. Did he? Would, let me ask you this. Did this you, is great radio, isn't it? Did you ever, when you had the parakeet, 
Was it annoying? Like we had a bird no. when I was when I was in college, we had several pets of the guys that I lived with, and one of them was a bird, and the poor th- I felt terrible for it. It never shut up. Yeah, uh, Frosty was a very good bird. He did not chirp at night. Yeah, well, did you put the thing over his cage? No, didn't have to. He was really? a great bird. So during the day, though, how loud was he? Oh, yeah, you know, just chirpy. And then no, nothing over the top. And how long did, what's the life expectancy uh, eight there? Eight to nine years. He probably lived about seven years. Really? Yeah. Okay. And then do you do you take birds to the vet? Never had to bring him to the vet. You just, he just sits in, did you ever let him out? Oh yeah. In the garage. So like when you had to, so our response, my sister and I, our responsibility, since he was our pet, we had to clean his cage, right? So we took the cage into the garage and he could fly, we had a small garage, so he was able to fly around and he knew that. He was smart enough where his cage is clean. We put some food there, and then he goes back in. So he knew the food was there. He knew the food. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Anyway, so that's my... Uh, so I did not know until later that the first bird had flown down south for the winter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and replaced you know what the that means? You know what that means? The sad part of this story, Brennan? That yeah. means that that poor... The, the, the first one? Yeah. <laughs> that means that poor bird had been waiting seven years in that store to have somebody take him home, right? <laughs> And then your parents came along, they made Christmas the dream a reality, yeah. and unfortunately, see, that's tragic, right? Just like the cute fella making the playoffs and a first-round exit. You know what? We have, uh, here at Urban One Radio, we, have, we are based out of Baltimore, and we are currently in the process at this radio station of, of moving around some things, including, we have, I think we've mentioned, we are now in a different studio from the sixth floor studios. We're down on the fourth floor. Same building, right on Monument Circle. But some of our fun co-workers are here from Baltimore, from the parent company, to help in facilitating some of those changes, making the engineering changes, et cetera. And yesterday, I uh, saw several of them wearing the Orioles hat. And we had, first off, I told them they had the hat that just had the O's. And I'm like, no, no, no. You got to go with the cute fella hat. But then we talked about the fact that October, much different than the rest of the year. October, Your new closer, Craig Kimbrell. I'm telling you what, man. Like the... You had a feeling with the Orioles that that's how it was going to go, right? Whenever a team has that kind of a season, just a magic summer, and then it goes into it, and you just never know, man. That's the, that's the thing about baseball. You just absolutely uh, never know. One other thing, by the way, I want to point out, because I saw a lot of people mentioning this yesterday when it comes to the new contract of Shohei Atani. Look. It's ridiculous. What's ridiculous about it? The fact that he would do something like that in the market in which he's doing it in. Like if you're going to do something like that, in my opinion, now what go we're to a talking about is this. team because what we're talking about is the fact that he signed a 10-year, seven hundred million dollar contract, which is slated to pay him seventy million a year. But what he is doing is deferring sixty-eight million per year to backload the contract, so that in the initial years, the salary cap it only hits a two million dollar hit against the Dodgers. Now, your complaint, Eddie, is. My complaint is that if you're going to do something like that, it completely helps a team like a small market team who may not have the funds and the resources to pay, you know, the 10 years, $700 million throughout the course of the 10 years to do it the way he did in terms of deferring it. So it's a 10 year, $2 million contract 
for the length that he signed for, and then he's getting $68 million a year for the next 10 years, so from 2034 to 2044. I would rather have seen him go to a small market team to do that because now this is just going to create a huge, 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 well, huge problem, in my opinion, here's the question. with superstars in the MLB. Does that $68 million then go against the Do- – well, of course, there's no cap in baseball, right? Nope. But it goes against the Dodgers' payroll. and So, in other words, in so the first year that he is going to start making $68 million is when? 2034. 2034. So in 2034, the Dodgers are going to have to account for $68 million for a guy that's not playing. I'm sure Shohei Otani will be able to bring in $68 million or very close to that a year now with him being in L.A. Okay. The, the amount of marketing that they should be able to do with him should be okay, sinless. So, well, I, And the exposure that he's going to get now, he'll see more ESPN games, he'll be in the playoffs. You're, you're familiar with where the Angels play, right? I am familiar. Yes. They play in Los Angeles. Yep. My point is this. The if if in fact he is able to bring in that kind of money, then then it's a free market enterprise. Then good for him, right? Mm-hmm. That that's why he's able to do it. That's why they're able to do it. I mean, I, I get it. If you if baseball if the conversation is about that, then it simply is a matter of whether or not baseball should have a cap. And and get a fair, you know, part of the in, the NFL we talked about earlier in the parity of the NFL. A big part of that is because, and this was always my my counter, not to get into this necessarily because it becomes a pretty deep in the weeds conversation. But my counter about the Colts, when the Colts were playing in the RCA Dome, and they came out and they were talking about how they wanted a new stadium, which, as we know, is Lucas Oil Stadium. And I remember Bill Pullian saying, you don't understand, we are we are handcuffed as a franchise. There's a limit to what we can do because we don't have the facility that other teams do in terms of our revenue. I've never bought into that. I think it was a total hoodwink and a complete and don't get me wrong, it, it worked out for them and for the Colts because they've made you know the Colts value now, the valuation of the Colts is probably and a lot of this is because of Peyton Manning. I totally get that. But the value of the franchise partially because of the public subsidy that comes with Lucas Oil Stadium, has turned it into a multi-billion dollar corporate enterprise. But it's done that within the structure of a league that has revenue sharing and a salary cap. So theoretically speaking, the profit margin for the Green Bay Packers is the same as the Minnesota Vikings or the Miami Dolphins or the Dallas Cowboys. Maybe baseball should adopt that same mentality if, in fact, they want to give the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Cincinnati Reds, the Baltimore Orioles the same advantages that are shared by the Los Angeles Dodgers, the L.A. Angels, the New York Yankees. But along those lines, the World Series champions – Dallas is not a small market, don't get me wrong. But the Dodgers haven't won a World Series since – except for the COVID year, since what, Mm -hmm. 88? Right? Yeah. The the Yankees – had an era of dominance for certain. But what about the Mets? The Mets and the Yankees both, between the two of them, how many World Series have they won in the last 20 years? I mean, the Yankees have have obviously been a great franchise, and they are the creme de la creme for certain. I mean, 20 years won. But, yeah, exactly, right? So, you know, does... Otani, the thing to me that is interesting is... And I get it. The Dodgers are a bigger brand than the Angels. I get it. But first off, they're taking a huge risk. I know he's oh, a great so player. So I know he's a great player, but he's coming off Tommy John. He He's a great hitter. But people that are like, yeah, but that lineup is just stacked. He just got done playing with Mike Trout. 
They, that, that's the. I mean, there there is no greater combo you can come up with in baseball than Shohei Otani and Mike Trout as teammates, right? I think there's one, Aaron Judge and Shohei Otani, but that's neither here nor there. Well, I'm saying, but uh, in terms of te- oh, yeah. that have been on an existing team, yeah. Here's the one difference. I know we're short on time. The big difference between the Angels and the Dodgers is L.A. Their farm system is elite. Anaheim has not been able to develop talent for a decade plus. They're far, other than Mike Trout. But that wasn't a whole lot of development needed. Uh, the Angels' farm system is bare. It's terrible. Remember when they acquired all those guys at the trade deadline this year? And now they're all they're all free agents. they traded their top two prospects to the White Sox for Giolito, and they let him go before the year ended. The Angels are a disaster. The only difference is that the Dodgers' farm system is elite with still guys coming up. So, but that's not why he went no, there. No, not at all, not at all. But the lineup. It's going to be good for as long as he's there. Now, be it, I still think, Jake, it's very risky to bring him in and do this. It This is a larger-scale Bobby Bonilla. That, that's oh, yeah. all it is. I remember Bobby when, Bonilla listen, is going to turn into Shohei Otani. I, I, I remember when, and this is going back, and this shows you how much things have changed, but when Alex Rodriguez was probably the most coveted free agent since Otani was Alex Rodriguez when he was first after yeah. his first deal with Seattle. And when Alex Rodriguez signed his deal with the Texas Rangers – a 10-year, $252 million contract. Remember it well. And I was in St. Louis covering the Cardinals, and I remember the second that the news broke, I walked into the Cardinals clubhouse. It was in Jupiter, Florida during Cardinals spring training, and I walked right up to Mark McGuire, and I go, who was the biggest star in baseball at that time. It was a year and a half removed from the home run derby. And I go, hey, did you just see this A-Rod contract? And he goes, yeah. And I said, what do you think about 10 years, $252 million for one guy? And he goes, all I can say about it is I never want to hear him or anybody within that organization complain that they can't put players around him. So, different scale, but 25 years later, $70 million is kind of the same thing. There are two ways to look at it, and I get it. The way one to look at it would be to say that Shohei Itani, it's ridiculous, the Dodgers have scammed the system, etc. The other is to say Shohei Itani is a guy that knows that through endorsement money and everything else that he has, he doesn't need from a standpoint, you know, he's probably keeping the same house, right? He doesn't have to go buy a new house, so... He is doing what is best for his franchise to help them win. And if he's playing on your team, you champion him for being a great teammate and competitor. If he's playing on another team, you call it greed and exploiting the system. Now, for people that are saying that the biggest issue about it is the fact that he is now dodging taxes in California's incredibly high state tax, not true because uh, I saw it yesterday, according to a precedent that I believe was determined by a court, I think in Nevada, like 18 or 20 years ago, a an income tax no matter when you f- create no matter when you get the revenue it is it goes back to retroactively the area where the revenue was the service was rendered mm-hmm. so he is going so he can move in 10 years he can move to florida and he is yeah, still right. going to have to pay a california state income tax because even though the money is retroactive it is being paid for being earned during the time that the contract was there. Uh, Alex Golden going to talk Pacers with us, and he's going to do so in about 12 minutes. You know one thing? Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. thing that I think about with the NBA that I think we often overlook And I know it's different. I mentioned this once before, but think about this. If you look at 
I've mentioned this probably a lot, but, but it, it continues, and again, it's on display here. It continues to, as I get older and particularly, kind of marvel me. The Pacers played, and Rick Carlisle discussed this this morning, and it got really kind of confusing and convoluted in the way he was explaining it. But they beat Boston at the Fieldhouse a week ago, what, yesterday, right? And so they beat Boston, and then they have to wait to find out whether or not they are playing in Las Vegas against Milwaukee or New York. Okay? So they win. They immediately take off to go to Vegas. They they play Milwaukee. Now, if they had lost to Milwaukee then their next game would have been against you mean if they lost to Boston no when they when they went to Ve- what would happen if they oh, I'm sorry if, so if they would have lost so Milwaukee didn't play after the semifinal right correct okay so it was so they went to Vegas he was explaining it that they basically had to go to New York be they scheduled to go to New York in case cuz if they had lost to Boston they would have gone and played in New York right isn't that right? Yes, they would have played Wednesday in New York. So it would have been a back-to-back for the Knicks. Correct. And then they resume their regularly scheduled, you know, but but as it happens, they have to go out to Vegas. So they fly to Las Vegas, they go to Vegas, then they go from there straight to Detroit, right? They play Detroit and then now they turn around and they go to Milwaukee to play there tomorrow night. And then from there, they go down to D.C. and then back up to Minnesota. Look, these aren't like really long flights, but you're playing at like 8 o'clock at night. You get done at, at game ends at 1030. You do media availabilities and whatever else. You get done, and then you're hopping on a plane. The one thing that I do think, and I know they're professional athletes, they're in an elite shape that I'll never be in in my lifetime. They have chefs, they have you know massages, they have big planes with big spread out seats. I mean, they ain't hopping on a spirit flight and waiting to make sure they don't get a middle row seat, okay, is what I'm getting at. But nonetheless, just the travel and the physical exertion of flying all over the place would be tough. And I know they, look, they live be a great life be a great life but i can't be the only one that thinks this like when you're watching when i go to a pacer game and i'm sitting there and i'm watching warm-ups and the music's playing and then there's a timeout and like they're playing rock and roll glitter part two and boomer and the power pack come out and they're jumping on trampolines and dunking the ball and flinging little t-shirts into the crowd and I always watch the opposing team. And I always watch the guys that are the the bench warmers for the opposing team. And or just guys that aren't in, in the rotation at that point in the game. The Miles Plumleys of the world. You know, the guys that are just standing around, they got their the sweatpants, their hands in the pocket, and they're watching, they're standing way back in the back of the huddle. They're kind of looking around and watching everything that's going on. And it dawned on me, I'm like, do these guys ever forget what city they're in? Do they ever, like, sit there and they're like, oh, that's right. Like, I just saw an ad for 
the local news station here, and I completely forgot we're in Portland. I know you're playing the Blazers, so that would make it easy, right? But just in terms of the arena, they have to be hearing the same songs, seeing the same skits, seeing the same getting the crowd jazzed up level bits, no matter where they are. So I can't relate to being an NBA player, that's clear. But I can tell you, my first year of being a pro broadcaster in ball we was in Boise, Idaho, short season baseball. We played 76 games in 78 days. And there were times when you're on the road and you're on the six, seven-hour bus rides where you're like, where are we going? What what park are we at? Totally. Yeah. Now, and those were, now, were you playing in multi-game sets? Yeah. So at the time, it wasn't six-game series yet. The, it was three-game series. So you were at so, least there for a couple of days. So imagine yeah, right. like when you went yeah. to Boise and you play a game, and then as soon as the game's over and you get everything done, you're on the bus and boom, now on your, you're on your way to Pocatello. Yep. And then after that, you're in Reno. And exactly. I mean. Exactly. There have to be times. George Hill told me once that when he was with the Pacers, that on more than one occasion when they would do road trips, you know, he'd go out to get something to eat or whatever and come back and he'd go to the front desk and say like, yeah, my, my card doesn't work. I'm like, well, what room are you, sir? And he's like, I'm 810. And like, what's the last name? Uh, Hill. No, sir, you're in 1140. Oh, that's right. 810 was last night in Boston. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that kind of thing has to happen. Definitely. But I wonder, like, over the course of a season, how many different songs, different skits, bits did the team see? Or is it literally yeah. – Naptown Seth would be a good person to know because ask because he he's he goes to the games on the road with the Pacers. So he'd be able to tell you how how much variety there really is. Now, granted, it's all different when you go to Denver because Rocky's the greatest mascot. And no no disrespect to Boomer. Not named Boomer. Rocky's the creme de la creme. He's, what is Rocky? What is their mascot? Uh, he's the Nuggets mascot, and he is a mountain lion. But oh, he's that's got a, right. But he's yeah. got a lightning bolt for a tail. That's right. I I always get confused because the Suns mascot is a gorilla. Yeah, that's right. right. He does yeah. a ton of uh, stunts, and he gets paid a boatload of money. You talk about the 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 gorilla? No, Rocky. Oh well, Rocky. It's good. It's because he's awesome. I don't know if you know that. Hey, that's a full time um, gig. You, you, all those guys. That all started, a lot of the, the mascot craze started with a bunch of guys that were roommates, I believe gymnasts at Arizona State together, and they went mm. and they, they each got different jobs. Now, there was a guy in Phoenix, uh, literally, I kid you not, you can Google this, I don't know, 10 years ago, there was a guy in Phoenix that lived in Phoenix and every day drove to work and accumulated like $700. They have automatic speeding, you know, the, the cameras that catch you, yeah. and so he got caught. He racked up like $700 in speeding tickets. Jeez. And he went to court. He had them for like six months worth of speeding tickets. And he went to court for it finally and was like, you know what? I am so glad that you that you have brought me into court here because I want to get to the bottom of this because somebody every day steals my car and drives my car somewhere and then brings it back and they park it back in my parking spot in my driveway every single day. And all I know is the only idea I've gotten of the guy is that he, he looks kind of like a gorilla. And they thought he was joking, and so they went and looked at this—you know—the the cameras of all of the shots of him speeding along the interstate, and it was a guy in a gorilla mask. <laughs> and so, as a result, they could not actually it, totally clarify that in fact he was the culprit. Now, I'm not <laughs> saying drive around in a gorilla mask, but I am saying it's pretty darn genius—a golden idea, if you will. And Alex Golden's next. Eddie. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
You, you managed the streak of bird-related songs to a song. Yep. You didn't continue the theme. I know. I'm sorry. And then you went with the worst music video of the 80s. Well, I can tell you, our next guest loves this song. Does he? Yeah, it's one of his favorites. How do you know? He sold me. Alex Goldner, are you a fan of Separate Ways by Journey? Yeah, I mean, how could you not be, Jake? That just seems kind of sad if you're not. It's not even one of their three best songs. Oh, I, I know that. I just like Journey in general. Any Journey song is cool. I, I will say this. The Stranger Things remake of that song is pretty awesome. Okay, fair enough. Now, Stranger Things, is that show still going? They got one more season left. Um, I think they're airing. They're filming it now. I think the. I think it's supposed to be coming out next year. What, what season are they on now? I, I want to say five. It might and, be six, but I, I can't remember. Have people stayed with it, or has the interest level petered out? <clears throat> as far as I know, the interest level has stayed with it. Okay. But I know that the actors are getting tired of, of filming it because it's been such a long time. <laughs> now, they don't film it in Indiana, right? Doesn't it take place in Indiana? Yeah, it takes place in Indiana. Last last season, they kind of like they moved from Indiana to California. Oh, it's like Saved by the Bell. Then, yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, Good morning, Miss Bliss, and the Saved by the Bell. You got it. So <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. Uh, I know my I know my '90s TV a little bit, '80s TV a little bit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's uh, then they were in Alaska and Russia and stuff like that. So they had some. Uh, well, Alaska is right across the street from Russia. You can sit out in Sarah Palin's yeah. porch and see Alaska and see Russia from there. <laughs> right there you yeah know that, exactly right? hey um yeah your thoughts last night on the pacers getting the win over detroit we talked about it earlier alex but yeah you know, setting the pace by the way is where you can hear alex golden and this was a game that is kind of a no win situation because they were supposed to win the game but it was definitely a trap win or a trap game your thoughts on it last night yeah i thought that i thought the team really handled the professionalism of playing basketball and like such a crazy schedule. I thought they handled that game pretty well, you know, having to be in Vegas for the last five days and then flying out, I believe it was Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, and then getting into Detroit, not even going home and then having to play, you know, at, at a different time zone that they were used to in Las Vegas. I definitely think that the Pacers, it was a tough spot and, and the Pistons 19 games in a row that they lost at this point too. They're trying not to get to 20. So they're definitely playing with more motivation at home. So it was an easy trap game, but I thought the team came in there and they they handled business. And it wasn't the greatest, prettiest game, but they uh, they found ways to to pull one out. And I thought what, what kind of a what was kind of a tough environment for them. Are they the te- the deepest Alex team in the East? And, and I don't know. Here's the thing: sometimes deep teams are deep because their starting five isn't great, and so therefore there isn't a great disparity. I mean, they have a good starting five, obviously, but it does feel like. At virtually any position, they can go two, certainly, and maybe even three, and not every team can do that. No, I think you're onto something there. I do think that their depth is their strength. So I, I'm actually with you there. I, I, I don't know about the deepest team in the East. I mean, you can make the case for it. I would have to really like go into a deep dive of like what other teams have in, in terms of depth. But when you have a guy like Matherin, McConnell, Aaron Neesmith off the off the bench, those those are all guys that could start. So I mean. I definitely think that you have to kind of sit there and say, okay, they have guys that could start that are off the bench. So their starters, yeah, Obi Toppin only played 12 minutes last night. Bruce Brown, he was kind of a six-man last year on the championship team. So how good is their starters? Maybe they're not the greatest starting five, but they, they have a good group of guys that really click well together, and I think that on any given night could be any any one of those guys kind of stepping up and, and helping Tyrese Halliburton. 
Hey, Golden, good to hear your voice. Third straight game for Isaiah Jackson in double figures. Also third straight game with at least five rebounds. Is he playing well enough right now to potentially take that number two five spot? Because, of course, Jalen Smith is out. Not sure how long he'll be there. But is Isaiah Jackson playing well enough to keep that number two position at the five? That's a great question. I actually think that Isaiah Jackson has impressed a lot recently with what he's been able to do. I thought in that Lakers game, he probably played better than Miles, and that's no knock on Miles. Miles doesn't have a good game, but I thought Isaiah was actually very impactful in that game. He was very well. active. Yes, and they, and he was blocking shots, four block shots, and I feel like he's been a little bit quicker to the basketball this year in terms of protecting the rim. Uh, unlike Miles, I feel like Miles has almost been like a, a step slow this year uh, in terms of like his rotations over, but. Uh, regardless, I mean, I, I still think Jalen Smith is going to be given the opportunity to, to keep that spot once he comes back from injury. But I do think that it could be a, a shorter leash with him, and I think that if he's struggling a little bit, then Rick Carlisle will go back to Isaiah because Isaiah has proven the last week at least that he's he's trustworthy. But if you go back to last Monday against the Celtics, he didn't even get into the game. So I thought that was kind of surprising there. But he earned that trust, I think, with how he played the last three games. This probably files under, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. But for the sake of the fun of it, okay, I think that it's easy to get intoxicated, Alex Golden, by what took place with the in-season tournament. That game against the Lakers really did feel like it was like this big, important, holy cow, they got to win this game, and you know the whole city's watching and bars are packed. Then you're like, it's December, and it's a tournament in the season that they just started this year. But clearly the Pacers have a competitive roster. So if they want to tweak that, if once the trade deadline rolls around, if they say to themselves, we learned from the in-season tournament that we need a big-bodied four that can bruise a little bit. We need a wing defender that can also shoot when the ball comes to him in rotation. If those players are available on the market, the players that the Pacers would be willing to part with to make that possible would be who? Good question. Um, you're going to have to look at guys that probably make bigger salaries. So you're looking at Buddy Hield and Bruce Brown, who are guys that are basically expiring. Same with T.J. McConnell. And then I think if you're looking at maybe some trade chips that would really entice player or entice teams, I think Jarris Walker has to be at the forefront of that. And I know that that's probably not what Pacer fans want to hear, but I don't see Indiana moving off of Benedict Matherin in year two. I, I think that they believe in what he can become, and they won't trade him. I think Andrew Nimhart is a little bit more a 50-50 for the Pacers, but with Jarris not being able to get into the rotation right now, him being so young and so raw, and this team kind of being a few steps ahead in terms of where they thought they might be uh, with their competitive level and Tyrese Halliburton's ascension, I think that Jarris Walker is someone they could part ways with, um, as well as some of those other key veterans, but I don't think they'll go after two or three players. I would assume only one maybe big name if they do make a trade, but they're going to have to make a decision between Bruce Brown and Buddy Heald. And my gut says they would probably trade Buddy over Bruce just because they just signed Bruce in free agency and they want to make sure they send the right message to free agents that that come here, like, hey, we're not just going to sign you then trade you to a team that is kind of in a rebuild. We're going to to value our signing of you and keep you here. So that would be kind of my thought process. Here's the catch-22 for me with Buddy Heald. I think we've seen, Alex, like especially in the first quarter of this year, that we weren't ready just yet to elevate that Benedict Matherin like running mate status 
to go with Tyrese Halliburton. And Heald has such a quick release that he gives them the outside shooting that is so coveted in the league, but he can do so fairly quickly when, especially with their pacing, he works really well with what they do. That's the real benefit of him, and I think this year they have benefited from him more than they perhaps even thought they were going to at that first half of this year, first quarter of the year. But the negative is every minute the Buddy Heald's on the floor for a large part of it, that means that Benedict Matherin is not, and Benedict uh-huh. Matherin needs those minutes to develop. It seems like a catch-22 because they're closer than they thought right now, but their future still exists probably within the development of Matherin. Your thoughts? No, I think that's a perfect way to describe it. And I feel like the one thing that Buddy Hill does with that offense is he spreads the floor so well, and he's constantly moving off ball. Benedict Matherin's not the same type of player. Benedict Matherin's not usually in an action. He's kind of just standing in the corner. And, you know, he doesn't have the same type of off-ball movement that a Buddy Hill does, let alone the threat from shooting from distance. So, I understand why Buddy Hill fits into the system, but he's been very inconsistent this year with his shooting numbers. And I know if you ask Rick Carlisle about it, he's going to tell you, you know, he's a, he's a pro. He's going to figure it out. And he kind of broke out of his slump last night. I think he went six and nine against the Pistons, but he's been up and down this year. And defensively, he's gotten better. I would say as a team defender, his passing has gotten better. He does make sense fit wise. And, and you might even value his fit more than a Bruce Brown, but I just feel like they, they talked about how Ben Shepard is very similar to Buddy Heald. And to me, that draft pick of Ben Shepard was, okay, here's our Buddy Heald replacement in a couple of years, but at least they know with Ben Shepard that he is an experienced college player that it hopefully doesn't take him two or three years to really kind of get acclimated with the, the pace of the NBA. So I understand all the, the reasons why you wouldn't do it, especially the whole he's best friends with Tyrese Halliburton type thing. You have to consider that. But at the end of the day, if they can make a move that makes them better, and it allows that space for Matherin to maybe grow a little bit more, then I- I'm fine with trading Buddy Heald, even though I do value what he brings to the table. You know, the the thing that you brought up there within just prior to that, that, that point in talking about guys, and I agree with Heald about him spacing the floor, but I want to go back to also your comment about Walker. I know he's young, really young, but he does seem – to have been brought in under the talking point that his area of skill set was the area that Indiana most covets right now, and that is physical Mm -hmm. defender. Why is he not on the floor? Yeah, so from what I've I've seen when he's played is he's just very kind of erratic in terms of not – staying within the system. There's been a lot of times where he'll break out of the system from their defensive scheme or what they're trying to do to gamble on a play, and then he gets burned. And I don't think offensively he's there yet with what they're trying to do. He's got great feel for the game, but he's not a great shooter. And it just kind of feels like, okay, if you play him with Miles, then you're probably going to see fives guarding Jairus Walker because he's not a good shooter, which also puts fours on Miles, which kind of takes away the advantage of having Miles play against fives where he can stretch the floor. So I just feel like maybe off the bench he could maybe get a little bit more run and get a little bit of a chance to kind of see what they can do. But right now they're in the process of trying to find the balance of developing players while also trying to win. And I think that his development is going to come, but it's going to come during practices. It's going to come during you know, playing in the G League and, and putting up good numbers there and just building the right habits. But right now I just don't think that they trust him enough to, to play within the scheme and the system that they want to play 
on a consistent basis. So I think that's why he's not getting those minutes. And at the same time, the guy that's playing those minutes he probably would be getting is Aaron Neesmith. And Aaron Neesmith has been so good this year, specifically playing that, that four, even though he's a little bit undersized. So I think right now, just having Toppin and Neesmith, those are just two guys Rick can trust a little bit more. And that's why Jarrett isn't seeing the floor. I'm a huge Alex. Alex Golden is our guest. I'm a huge Aaron Neesmith fan. Like, mm-hmm. might even be, to be honest with you, uncomfortable for like a grown man to admire an NBA player like I do Aaron Neesmith. Is that weird? I mean, I don't think anything's as bad as KB's admiration for Benedict Matherin. So, I mean. Yeah, I'm not statue stage just yet. I'm not talking about building a statue for Aaron Neesmith. But yeah, I do yeah. love, the thing I love about Aaron Neesmith is this. I just think every team needs an Aaron Neesmith. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I've mentioned this before, that Reggie Miller is still probably the, the biggest pillar in Pacers NBA franchise history, right? Mm-hmm. And Rick Smith was his was was the guy that that balanced that offensively. And in talking to the guy that built that franchise, he said to me, the most important player that we acquired was Dale Davis. I'm like, really? And he said, Dale Davis completely changed the trajectory of what we wanted to do in terms of our mindset, but he freed up everybody else to be in the spots they need to be. And I think that when Neesmith's on the floor, he's not doing the the like tone setting that Dale Davis does, but he does little things, Alec, that Alex, that then free up other players to do what they're out there specifically to do, and they don't have to worry about other things to help out when Neesmith's on the floor. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. No, it does. And, and just to kind of piggyback off of that, I think he's fearless. And the, the ability to go in there and, and just get in LeBron's grill and just – Make it difficult for LeBron. LeBron, I mean, he had an okay game in that championship game. I mean, everyone's going to blow it up because they won the championship, right? But it was Anthony Davis that carried that team and, and Austin Reeves and what he did. But I thought Aaron Neesmith really kind of annoyed the crap out of LeBron for the entirety of the game when he was in there. And there's nobody else on this Pacers team that can even come close to doing what he does defensively, let alone the amount of hustle and energy that he plays with on a night-to-night basis. So you're right. He is he is a dog, and, and, and you need more guys like that on this team that are not afraid to kind of junk it up and go out there and do whatever is asked of them. Because he could literally start on this team, and I wouldn't have a problem with that. But he's okay with coming off the bench, and I think that kind of helps smooth things out because he has no ego. He just wants to win basketball games and do whatever he can, uh, do whatever he can to impact the game. So – I love the way that Aaron Eastman plays basketball, and I'm right there with you. Like, the more I watch him, I'm just like, we got such a bargain of a deal when they signed him to that three-year extension. Like, people don't realize how valuable he is going to be to this team, especially when they make that run uh, and start, you know, winning playoff series here in the next three to four years. He's going to be a pivotal part of that, and I uh, I fully believe that he is the perfect fit for the Pacers. You know, I, I'll i be honest. I, I wondered when I was watching, I think it was in the Boston game, I was watching Neesmith, Alex, and I thought to myself, I wonder if he regrets signing that extension when he did. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, he because he does a little bit, right? Because like it, it would have increased now, right? Uh, I, I would assume so. I, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't even think he really cares about money as much as maybe some people would. I think he's just happy to be in a situation where he feels like he's wanted, and he can go out there and play basketball how he wants to play and. You know, he didn't get paid, like, a cheap amount of money. Like, he got $33 million, right? It's still a lot of money to these guys. It's life-changing money. It's a second contract. And had he stayed in Boston, would he have ever even gotten that kind of money? So probably uh, a little bit of a hometown discount there just because the Pacers took a chance on him and gave him that opportunity. But, yeah, I mean, he might have uh, maybe – 
put a couple, you know, six, seven million dollars extra on his contract had he waited until the end of the year. Hey, Golden, even though Indiana, of course, made the magical run to the IST final, I, who knows if people across the NBA associate Indiana being just two games back of the Bucks, right, in the East. I mean, that's that's dwindling. So just looking at tomorrow's game, what's on your mind most, especially after uh, the game against the Bucks here in Indianapolis? Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, the Bucks. the Pacers have beat them twice now this year. And I think there's two things the Bucks can do to kind of eliminate Indiana from really getting off and winning this game. Number one, they just give the ball to Giannis like they did the first time they played the Pacers when Giannis had 54 points. I feel like Giannis could have had the same type of game that Anthony Davis had against the Pacers had they fed him more, but their offense was kind of going through Dame and doing different things like that. I also think Damian Lillard's going to be a little bit fired up for this one after Tyrese Halliburton did the it's my time now kind of uh, – Gave uh, gave a little love to Damian Lillard by doing his signature sign of tapping the wrist. And then the other thing, everyone was talking about it, how Tyrese Halliburton just obliterated their pick-and-roll coverage. They had no answer for that. They threw a zone at the Pacers, and I felt like Nimhart and, and, and Bruce Brown really just kind of made them pay for that by getting open in the middle of that zone and just hitting that little 10- to 12-foot jumper there, and no defense was contesting it. So the Bucks have their hands full. They don't really have the personnel to, to defend the Pacers like they might want to, but I guarantee we will see different uh, schemes on how they guard Tyrese Halliburton just because Halliburton – was obliterating their pick-and-roll coverage. And, and anytime they can get Brooke Lopez into a switch, he is so slow-footed, he cannot stay with Tyrese, and Tyrese will just cook him all day on that coverage. So I, I expect the Bucks to be a little bit more motivated. Just they've gotten kind of, you know, they've kind of gotten embarrassed a couple different times by the Pacers. You know, they were the team that was supposed to beat them. So I, I think that that's kind of how you're going to see it. And then you have to wonder if the Pacers just – another road game being on the road for so long, do they kind of just, this fatigue finally hit them and, and make this a little bit more of a challenging game for them? Alex, how often, if at all, do you, since they are now locally based, do you get to see the Mad Ants play, the G League team? So a lot of their games are during the day when I'm at work, so I'm not able to check them out. But um, I have not been to a game yet this year, and I haven't really kept up, but I have seen that they're, the number one team in the G League, and I think they've won like 10 or 11 in a row. So that's about the most I know about them. I, I've wondered this. Are they going to change their name from Mad Ants? Because they're, the, they're named the Mad Ants yeah. after, you know, Fort Wayne. They were the Fort Wayne yeah. Mad Ants. So do they change the name? What do they do there? Yeah, I think it was after Mad Anthony Wayne, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Uh, and, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And so they're going to Noblesville. I would assume they changed their name. <laughs> I know a lot of people in Fort Wayne were upset when they left, but I understand the logistics of why they did because Noblesville is a much closer drive than Fort Wayne is. So, um, and, and maybe a little bit more scenic too than just taking 69 all the way. But uh, I, I, uh, I don't know what they're going to change the name to. I think that they should just ask fans to kind of throw out some ideas there and maybe come up with something interesting. But uh, the Mad Ants, it's a, it's a unique name. It's one that I think that it just kind of, rolls up the tongue when you're saying the Fort Wayne Mad Ants, but Indiana Mad Ants does not really go together. You know, when I was a kid, Noblesville, I don't know if they still do this, but Noblesville, you know, their high school is the Millers, and if you lived in Noblesville, people would get bumper stickers that say, follow the Millers. And when I was a kid, I thought everybody that lived in Noblesville's last name was Miller because we were always behind them <laughs> in the car, and I'm like, we're following the Millers. Like, there are Millers all over the place in this town, right? 
But they can't call them the, the, the Indiana Millers because that's what Noblesville is, and that's unfair to the rest mm-hmm. of the area, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, unless they're, unless they're paying like an homage to them and just like it's a respect what, What's thing, the most right? famous thing in Noblesville? I mean, you got Deer Creek, right, or whatever it's called now, right? Yeah. Ruoff. You can't call them the Indiana Ruoffs. What what else could you could you come up with? I I'm, I I don't really live on that side of town, so I would have no idea. Is um, IKEA in Noblesville or Fishers? That's a great question. That I think that's Fishers. I think that's Fishers. Yeah, hmm. that would have been a good one, huh? That would have been a good one. Yeah, and you got Top Golf right across the, the Indiana street, Swedish right? meatballs. <laughs> <laughs> the Indiana, what's this extra screw? Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I actually. The most famous thing to happen in Noblesville is probably when they had the Deer Creek uh, Grateful Dead riots in like 92, I think it was, 93, something like that. It's just called the, the, the riots, the Deadhead Riots. How's that? That's an awesome team name. Just the Deadheads. What about the Deadheads? Sounds pretty legit. Sounds a little scary, a little intimidating. Um, hey, lastly, what do you want to see, Alex, from from Indiana coming off of like – there was so much positive vibe energy coming off of the in-season tournament and growth, really. And I think it was really good for them to see defensively what happens when teams turn up the wick when there are things at stake. You know, five hundred grand at stake, you saw when what happens defensively. And I thought L.A. was really aggressive defensively, and it was good for Indiana to learn that. But if the Pacers have taken a step in the last month – what do they need to do to show that that step is in fact solidified and it was not a fleeting fad because of the fact that they were caught up in the tournament? Yeah, I, I think they really just need to focus in on like what got them there, right? What what made them get up for these games was they were still trying to prove to everybody that they belong. They had a chip on their shoulder and they were playing with an edge. And I think if they can approach the rest of the season like that, every game is a prove-it game to the rest of the league that that wasn't a fluke. They, they are going to be looked at with a different lens now just because they got to this point. But if they are to stumble again and go on a big losing streak and really fail to compete with some of the upper echelon teams of the NBA, people are going to say, okay, that was just a silly little run they had back in December. They're not a serious team. But I think if they want to take that next step, they just need to continue you know, honing in on the fact that, okay, we proved to the world that we belonged here. Let's continue proving to the world that you know we're not, we're not satisfied with where we're at now. And I think Miles Turner had a great quote uh, when when asked about being you know highlighted on first take you know saying like that's cute and all but we want bigger we want bigger things to happen with this team we want more national recognition for the way we play and that's what's going to get us on national TV so I think that's the main thing for me is just like learning how to okay you know it's a different feel there's you're not getting up for these games because they don't count as much but it still counts towards your 82 game regular season schedule and you have this opportunity to kind of prove to everybody that you belong so. That, for me, is what I'm most hopeful to see is just, like, can they keep up now that they've got this semi-target on their back a little bit more than they had before? Can they play at that high level? And also, can they just beat the teams that they're supposed to beat? We've seen that happen too many times this year where they lose to teams that they should have beaten, like a Charlotte, like a Chicago, like a Portland. They can't let those games slip away from them. They have to take care of business against the teams that are lesser than them and and that aren't on their same level because that's what's going to separate them from – being a playoff team versus a play-in team. Alex, I have not yet seen, and I don't know if you have, television numbers for the championship game on Saturday night because I'm curious. It's been a long time, guys, and I know, you know, I remember during some of the great 
playoff runs the Pacers had where the phrase around town was simply, you know, what are you doing for the game? And everyone knew what you were talking about. And that's what it was like Saturday night. I mean, it was like, what are you doing for the game? What are you, you know, are you going to watch the game? And I'm curious if that was true outside of the Indianapolis market. Eddie, do you have the ratings you said? Yes. Per Clutch Sports, it averaged 4.58 million viewers on ABC and ESPN2. That is the most watched non-Christmas NBA game during the regular season in six years. So there, Alex, mission accomplished, right? Because wasn't the goal here to let the, you know, the goal was to let the guy on his couch in Council Bluffs, Iowa, or in you know, Galveston, Texas, know that the NBA does play before Christmas, right? Yeah, and uh, I think it did. I did it. Did the NC turn, end season tournament did its job, right? I had people asking me left and right that I work with. They know I do a podcast. I know I talk about the Pacers, but they don't really say much to me throughout the season. But as soon as they started making the tournament, and they were like, "Man, the Pacers are in Vegas. That's really cool. Like, what's going on?" Like, I started getting all these questions to me, like, "What's happening?" And I do think that it did spark the interest of people for the month of December. And that's exactly what you want to see from the NBA. And, and let's be honest, you know, LeBron being in there, the Lakers being in there for the championship, that did probably help increase the numbers because it's a huge market. But at the same time, I think that getting that established with LeBron in there and, and letting people know what it's about and how, you know, that game was pretty competitive for the most part. I mean, the Pacers hung in there for the majority of the game, even though they never really had a, a lead really in that game. I, I think that, People are going to be more excited about it moving forward. And then the way LeBron and Anthony Davis kind of celebrated afterwards, they're hanging the banner, they're, they're popping champagne. I think that kind of sets the precedent for what to expect moving forward for other teams. So I definitely think that it, it did what it was supposed to do, and I really enjoyed it. I think they did a great job of making basketball interesting in November and December. It actually, for me, was a reminder of like, oh, yeah, like, the Pelicans are able to play well when Zion's there. Honestly, and I don't even mean that flippantly, just because that's a franchise you don't hear yeah. as much about, right? And you've got to right. it's gotta remind you that that probably is the mentality about Indiana by a lot of Western conference markets that may not pay attention throughout the course of certainly the regular season when it comes to the Eastern Conference. Again, Alex Golden mm-hmm. at Alex Golden NBA on X Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Alex, appreciate the time. Absolutely, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, appreciate it. Um you, you know, Eddie, people have been writing in all over the place about this white-winged dove, and somebody made a good point to me. They said, wouldn't a one-winged dove just fly in a circle? Now, would a one-winged dove fly in a circle, or would it just not be able to fly? It would be like... Depends on how strong that wing is. It depends on which... And it probably depends getting, on which side of the wing, which side the wing is, right? You and your little it, hands. It, 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 <laughs> If Kenny, Kenny Pickett, if he was a if he was a dove, right? But 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 what is it, it his dominant wing? Right. Like what would it? What a, See, I'm telling you, I can't. He's I, a southpaw. I, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one with the Stevie Nicks song that thought it was the one winged dove. It doesn't sound like white winged dove, does it? I've personally never heard of one wing. I've always heard white winged, but. You know, actually, audio the, quality is now that we're down on the same floor as the WIBC kids. They, they prefer to it as the right wing dove. Actually, is what I understand, right? Okay. But but I'm telling you, it's white wing dove, right? Yes. Okay, I want to make sure I'm getting it clear. You know, we were talking earlier. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you about just injuries in the National Football League, Brennan. 
And there's a guy that is out for the year that and it's it's almost fitting the franchise that he plays for. And let me explain. There are certain players that you know are great players. And almost their reputation like precedes them in the fact that you go into a game and you're like, this team's going to have a chance to win because this guy is on the roster as the quarterback. And he has capability of being dynamic. And then you look at the record of the team and you're like, what is it that's missing? Because he's throwing for a lot of yards and touchdowns and he makes plays and he's got all the size and all the tools and all the skills, but yet they seem to continuously fall short of where you think they're going to be. And the guy that there are a number of players over the course of the National Football League that that applies to, a guy that was a an absolutely tremendous talent that was part of a dynamic offense that threw for a ton of yards and scored a ton of points was Dan Fouts and Eric Coriel and the guys that he was throwing it around to. I mean, Charlie Joyner and, you know, obviously Kellen Winslow, and I think he had Wes Chandler for a few years. You know, they, they, John Jefferson was a great player. And, but yet in Fouts, they certainly had good success, did the Chargers, but they never got that they had a great disco song, by the way. San Diego Chargers disco song. We could deviate from the the bird songs, Eddie, if you can find the San Diego Chargers disco song, because it is I mean, you want to talk about just flat out awesome songs. That was their touchdown song? You didn't even acknowledge the fact it that I played When Doves Cry it was by a fight Prince. Song. Well, so I wasn't playing a bird song next anyway. No, you have to now, but but you got to play the San Diego Chargers song. But the Chargers are that franchise that, like, they're always right. You feel like they're better than they are. Then you look at it and you go, and Justin Herbert seems to kind of fit that mold because he's got a super strong arm. He's athletic. He extends plays. He's dynamic. He throws for great numbers. Maybe it's because they're no longer the San Diego Chargers and they can't play the, the awesome song. Maybe that's it, right? Why they're not there. Um, but he is now, we we now know, and the Chargers were fading pretty quickly anyway, but earlier news today about Justin Herbert, right? Yeah, out for the season, and like you said, I mean, their hopes had dwindled all the way down, even though it's, they're a confusing team. I mean, Eckler was out for a while, obviously, to begin the year. They've just never had any juice. I mean, Staley, they've been calling for him to be fired for what feels like forever now. Um, and it seems like that's inevitable by now, right, with Staley? Yeah, I mean... It's hard enough because the Chargers now. I mean, the Chargers were always kind of a, I hate to say it, a second-rate franchise in that in in Southern California. When they were in San Diego, they were obviously massively popular in San Diego, but yeah. but they were still always kind of a second fiddle to the LA market. Even when the Rams had gone, you know, when the, when LA didn't have a team, people in LA, I think, you know, it was still thought of as yeah, but the, the conversation about LA and the NFL was constantly what team's going to move there. You know what I mean? And so as a result of that, they were always kind of a backseat. Now they go to L.A. itself, and you still forget that the L.A. Chargers, right? Absolutely. Because you think of them, of course, as, as this. I mean, now you want to talk about just kick-ass music. Here we go right here. I mean, how can you not love this, right? You got like 20 seconds of walk-up, so you can talk for a little bit. This was their touchdown no. song? No, this is, their, this is just their theme song, Fight Song. This is when everybody was trying to cash in on the disco craze, right? 
I mean, get out your leisure suit, baby. Now, hold on. What team are we talking about? San Diego I mean, come on, baby. Can't you just picture a bunch of people in leisure suits sitting around? They got big headphones on at a party. They're just like, pass around the goods, baby. I mean, <laughs> look, Eddie's popping. You don't want to admit it's great, do you? It's got a nice beat. Okay. Very catchy. Now, can we remix this and make this your theme here's song the thing. for the show? You tell me which is better. We got that one, right? Then you got the Cincinnati Bengals song. So we got to find the Cincinnati Flatulent Bengals song because that the, you know teams do this, right? They all, they everybody. This is what the Colts need, and I know people have tried it. You know, there's always a couple of guys like in a garage somewhere in, in like Mars Hill that are putting together some some bad Colts song. Uh, don't try. I mean, th- you can't compete with us. Here's the Bengals right here, right? Is this the Bengals, Eddie? The Bengals oh, you know the one the the creme de la creme, and this always makes Eddie White mad because I think he thinks that this song that I'm about to mention was stolen from the Miami Dolphins. But the Houston Oilers, the Houston Oilers have the greatest of all time in these songs, right? And I like, the only reason we're doing this is because anytime that there's news about the Chargers, it allows me to play the great disco song of the Chargers. But then that segues into these fabulous songs. This is what the NFL is all about. This is when football was football, baby. Now, I know those lyrics, Brendan, because it played like three times on Sunday. I've been to to Paycor four times in the last year and a half. So I know that by now. That's fair. Well, Olivia probably makes you know it, right? Okay, here we go. Now, I went to Super Bowl 34 in Atlanta between the Tennessee Titans and the St. Louis Rams. Dave First stands up in the middle of a restaurant amongst all Titans fans and starts singing this song. And like literally, I mean, there might have been a few beverages consumed, right? And then all of a sudden, everybody, here we go. Because we're the first is leading this with all these Tennessee Titans fans, many of which became Titans fans like two years prior, right? But all of a sudden, they're all up, and the ones that had Houston roots are singing the song, and we overtook the Atlanta airport. And then that was fun for like an hour. And then somebody's like, did you hear what just happened down in uh, Buckhead with apparently one of the Ravens players? And that was the Ray Lewis situation, and then everybody oh just went home, and that was the end of that. Oh, boy. But it was fun nonetheless. So of those three, best song? Oh, the Chargers. Now, we're not going to play Ked Woodley in the Carolina Panthers song from a few years ago. Do we have to play Miami now? Okay. They, which Is anybody going to call you? Play the Miami one. Play Miami and tell me if you think they ripped off which one ripped off who. Are you ready? Yeah. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. <laughs> the Houston folk might have stolen this, right? Right. When you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl because we're the Miami. 100%. <laughs> they couldn't even change the lyrics. <laughs> this, is, this is a more blatant ripoff than the, like, the Huey Lewis Ray Parker Jr. has nothing on that kind of ripoff, right? That was terrible. But which one was first, though? The, were the Oilers first or the Dolphins first? Chicken or the egg? Let's do some research. 
I'm guessing, based on the sound, based on the sound, that Dolphin song sounds early 70s. I'm going to say 71, 72. And the Oilers song, I'm going to say, is like 77. So I'm going to say that the copyright infringement probably was by the Houston Oilers. I mean, you know, they were they were running around with Earl Campbell. And as a matter of fact, they broke out that song in mass. I'll, here's aha. Here's my theory. Here's my theory. And and guys, this is the kind of historical neuroticism that you have free access to. I'll bet what happened. The Dolphins had that song. Okay. I'm going to say the Dolphins came out with that song around the time of the undefeated season. Which, if you forget that the Dolphins are the last undefeated team, just ask them. And then in 1978. The Houston Oilers hosted a Monday night football game that was Earl Campbell's breakout party. Earl Campbell ran for like 140 yards and three touchdowns in that game against the Miami Dolphins. I'm going to wager that the song we heard from the Houston Oilers was put together by a radio station in Houston to replicate the Miami Dolphins in anticipation of their big Monday night football, Dandy Don Meredith, Frank Gifford, Howard Cosell broadcast at the Astrodome. That's my guess. Eddie, able to find anything there? Not yet. There's a lot of things you have to sift through, including all of those things from last night at Miami losing to the Tennessee Titans. Jake, I'll tell you what. When the aliens someday come to Earth, I think we should send you to teach them about our customs. <laughs> I think you'd be you think the perfect so? guy. I think you'd be the perfect guy. They would be completely confused. They'd be like, well, first off, they would they would say... They would, they would be like, yeah, all we know on planet Earth is they have apparently one-winged doves that fly around. And that's <laughs> and, what and we were every passing. every professional in our... sports franchise has a song. I'm telling you, like, everybody does have a song, right? And this oh, is the problem. Well. This is the problem with – problem is the wrong word. I appreciate the enthusiasm. But, but all of these people – like, I wish I had a dollar when I worked at Channel 6 for everybody that sent me a song about the Colts that they produced. All right, what did you say for the Dolphins? When do you think it was released? I'm going to say 71 or 72 for the Dolphins. I wish I had a ding because you are correct. Really? 1972 okay. is when that one was released. Okay, now. now, the Oilers song I'm going to predict – I believe it was the 78 season, so it may have been like October of 77 when they hosted the Monday night game. But I'll bet you that that song was done to kind of poke fun at Miami. And and because Earl Campbell had such a breakout night on that game on Monday Night Football, they used that song, and so therefore it became bigger than the Dolphins song. That's my prediction. Okay, I'm trying to find out when the Oilers release theirs now. Because now I'm getting a history lesson on just the Houston Oilers in general. Well, now what what lesson would there be? Oh, you know, when they were founded, and there's this Love You Blue song. By oh, the Love, Houston Love You Blue. That Again, same thing, right? 1975 in the regard for that one. Yeah, the, the, the Love You Blue is also a, a great song. Okay, wait, Love You Blue is the same thing, isn't it? Now that I think about it? I've got no idea. Okay. Well, these are the kind of things we probably should have had a meeting before the show, right? Uh, but anyway, so Justin Herbert it, out for the year. I, that, that, that basically, <laughs> I gonna, <laughs> I'm, I'm allowing Eddie yeah. to continue to look for the Houston Oilers information. But the Justin Herbert news is not huge except for it does have some implication, possibly, because that's the final blow. That's another team that you can eliminate out. But the record alone pretty much eliminated the Chargers out of the 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 AFC wildcard contention, right? Absolutely. And but they have games remaining against the teams the Colts are are fighting with, well, right? They can play some major spoiler. I was going to say what did you say that was? Love me blue. 
Love, love you blue. Lo- yeah. Oh, I was going to say, did that have any relation to Jackie Moon's Love Me Sexy? Love you blue. That that was um, that was minor league basketball, was it not? Yeah. So yeah. where the Houston Oilers was released in 1978. Does it say when? Does not say the exact time. It just says 1978. Congratulations, Jake Query. You, you. you get an unlimited selection on from Scotty 20th, Johnston's trash bin. On November 20th, 1978, <laughs> the Oilers took on the Miami Dolphins on Monday Night Football. In order to boost team spirit, the Oilers gave each team, uh, each person in the stands a blue and white pom-pom for over 50000 to wave while playing the song. Of course, this is the one time where we need Eddie White to text us, and he's probably not listening. No, Eddie's always listening. It's like the emperor. Um... We mentioned earlier some of the teams that the Colts are going to have to slug out with for a playoff spot, assuming that they're going to be in the wild card and not the division. Although Jacksonville is backpedaling a little bit. The problem with Jacksonville is the fact, Brendan, that they own the tiebreaker because they swept the Colts. And so as a result of that, it's going to be tough because with four to go, you're basically two games back, right? And... Let's look at Jacksonville's remaining schedule because if you look, the Colts' schedule is pretty favorable. The Jaguars' remaining schedule: Baltimore. Mm. So now all of a sudden you're tied, but not really because you have the. So you still got another game to make up. Jacksonville after that at Tampa, Carolina, and at Tennessee. Wow, it's going to be tough for them to get two losses out of those four, right? Yeah, unless Levis pulls a uh, Houston Texans from last year, you know. Tell you what, Levis, how about Levis last night? He could play. He played well, right? And and he does. He had Levis last night extended plays. I thought he showed some moxie for sure. Um, you know, he, he had a leadership about him. What Levis is doing right now is what was not done before him. Because a year ago, look, I think that everybody knew that Tennessee was preparing for, obviously, the handover from Ryan Tannehill. And Malik Willis was a guy that got the same opportunities a year ago in big moments. He just didn't seize them. And what Will Levis is doing is kind of seizing the moment, right? He's taking advantage of it in the fact that he's clearly playing well. I mean, not like... Knock your socks off well, but but last night was impressive, though. It was. Again, I like how he leads that team, and it's nice to have a Derrick Henry with you, right? But at the same time, I think a lot of that hinges on what's going to happen with Mike Rabel, if the rumors are true. And it's a domino effect, right? Because what happens with Rabel, if the rumors are true that he's interested in New England, Belichick would have to get fired. So, I believe that is all coming from New England. Didn't we have somebody recently, Jake, talk about that on our airwaves? I can't remember which guest in... When we were talk when we had the Titans a couple of weeks ago, it was asked, I think by Jimmy, if Mike Vrabel would leave Tennessee to go to New England. And well, there was a lot of discussion about the fact that he was the heir apparent, right? Yeah, exactly. and I believe that is all. I believe our guest said that's all smoke from Tennessee or from New England specifically, not anything in Tennessee is being discussed in that nature. Well, that might be the 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 word. I believe that's correct. That the, that the speculation came from the Patriots' side of coverage, right? And that with Belichick, 
that if he were to retire or to leave or whatever else, that Vrabel is the guy that Robert Kraft would go after. Um, and then, you know, that becomes, does, would Vrabel leave Tennessee to go there? I, you know, who knows in those regards? I, there are so many things that go into whether or not a guy would leave, what you know, the situations. I mean, everything down, guys, to do they have kids in school? Do they have, you know, where's the wife's family from? Where's where's the guy from? Where's the, you know, what, what's the background of where the guy is from? I, there are a million factors that go into it, right? Money is, at, at some point, and I know it sounds crazy, but at some point, you have enough money that, like, is there really, and I, that's almost embarrassing to say, is there a huge issue between, or difference between six to eight million dollars a year if you've already netted 40 in the bank? I mean, I guess there is when you start talking about generational wealth and making sure that you have money to pass along and those kinds of things. It all has to come into play. But I think that sometimes we get caught up in, oh, every person would want to go to this franchise or who wouldn't want to live in that market. Well, there's a lot that goes into that, right? I mean, you just, Brendan, you're, you know, you're an aspiring baseball broadcaster, right? And if you were the, the voice of the give me a major league team off the top of your head. Tampa Bay Rays. Tampa Bay Rays. You move down to Tampa and you while you're there end up getting married and you marry a girl from St. Pete and you have children and they're in the seventh and ninth grade and then all of a sudden the White Sox come calling. I'm not saying you wouldn't take it because home is home, but you would probably have to think about it and have the discussion a lot longer than you would if that situation came up right now. Hundred percent. You know what I mean? There's just a ton that goes into it. JV has walked in. I'm here. You Got know, I spilled your... coffee in my crotch right before I walked in here. That's like the third time you've done that. Yeah. I, I didn't know. At first, I thought maybe I peed my pants because it was warm, too. I didn't know. But I think I, <laughs> I spilled coffee on you my crotch. You didn't feel it when it first No, I was you? sitting there talking to those guys out there. I was kind of sitting in the uh, pseudo bullpen out there, and all of a sudden, I felt this warm feeling on my Lower genitalia. And okay. okay. Yeah. It was either one. You still got half a cup left, though. Yeah, I do. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't a lot. Do you make the coffee here? Do we have a coffee maker? Um, I normally do, but they had some out there. So I like mine leaded. You know what I mean? I like, I like, I, like uh, I don't go to Starbucks or any of these places. I go and get mine at the gas station where okay. I know that it's they took about two seconds to make it. <laughs> and the best gas station <laughs> yeah. coffee is where? Yeah. I hear McDonald's uh, has um, great coffee. You know, I, My I mom would, loves that. I would, yeah. say, yeah. I would say Casey's General Store normally, but the one I go to on Madison, they need to get with the program here and get some more supplies. Do, so that's not been favorable. Do you favorable. get pizza while you're there? Uh, sometimes Blake does. We stop every morning. We stop either there or Speedway every morning. Mm-hmm. And, I have uh, enough speedy reward points for Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I do. Um, well, we could put ours together and probably buy a speedway. <laughs> Seriously. How many do you have? Or do you, how many yeah. do you have? Let's see what I have right now. What, what I, do you I, have? I don't even know. I just have a card I hand to them, and I don't even know what it is. But it's substantial. I know that. I, I've never cashed them in. <laughs> yeah, I Because I keep, I keep thinking to myself, I'm like, I'm like with speedy reward points what Chris Ballard is with salary cap. I'm like, I, I'm going to yeah. need that someday. <laughs> I'm going to need it someday, yeah. right? I think I, I get a free one like every week. That's how often I'm in there. I like it. Here's the thing I like is when they go, do you have your, if I don't have my card on me and the guy mm-hmm. scans his, like the, the clerk like scans one, act yeah. like he's doing you a favor. I'm like, that guy's probably sitting on like 900,000 points, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, that, the only reason I know is because they tell me they go, "Wow, you got a lot of points and everything here." So you, you, well, you keep thing. track of your Walton's clock up here. <laughs> I, I, it's like that's how the Waltons John, t- told time back in 1930. So, for people that don't know, in this new studio, we have a <laughs> clock on the wall that's like it's like the clock you had in school, right? Yeah. The problem is, from where I sit, we have one large spotlight. Yeah. And it, for me to look at the clock. I have to turn my head in the direction of the spotlight, and it completely blinds me, and I can't see anything. So, like, I can't yeah. see you right now at all. Really? No, I, you're just a figure. <laughs> well, that's good, too, because you guys were talking earlier. I couldn't hear anything you guys said. Well, it's good, because he's I'm got deaf. coffee on his shorts, I'm too. I'm deaf, huh? and I got a crotch full of hot coffee. Now, you said that you, you drink your coffee leaded, but that looks like it's got cream and sugar in it. Oh, there might be a little bit in there right now. Normally, I do, so... Yeah, there's some kind of. You know, do you go with like the flavoring, the hazelnut? I can, that kind of thing? yeah. I like. Uh, I don't know what the peppermint flavor. Sometimes what I'll do is I'll get black coffee and drop like a peppermint down in there. You know who? Uh, lastly, yeah. and J and V is going to be up next. We'll preview what you got coming up here in just a second. I, I just thought of this. I just had a, a moment of clarity that came to me. Uh, people tell you all the time that you look like the fella from what's the band Rascal Flats? Yeah, they also tell me I look like the fat guy in Teen Wolf. You have the hair of that guy, mm-hmm. right? But you're not, he's yeah. fat, you're not. They all say I look like the fat guy in Teen Wolf. But I, so, one of these, as you turn sideways, one just hit me. You kind of look like Michael Rappaport. Really? <laughs> cool. You know, this is a true story, and I really embraced it. I remember back when I was in high school, people told me I looked like Emilio Estevez. Really? They called me wow. Estevez. I go, that's cool right there. Yeah. I'll take Emilio Estevez. I'd I much rather have that than the fat from guy from Letterman. Teen Wolf. And you can also hockey. play John He's, Wayne Gacy in the film, too. He, he, so he also great. played, as you and I have talked about, he also played the guy that got in the fight over the... the Francis. The, the Bopka in Seinfeld. And Francis, uh, yes. Fra- yeah, he played great fr- character actor, right? Yes. Uh, what do you got upcoming on the program, John? Uh, I think Miles Turner. Eddie told me Miles Turner. I had no idea. He's going to call in at 315. I think Greg Rakesraw is going to be here. Blah, 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 blah. What else? Uh, Brad Spielberger. Spielberger. And then uh, Daenerys going to be a big numbers, by the way, on Saturday night. Big television we just talking about, numbers. Right? Yeah. We just talking about that. So good, good for that. So Miles Turner is on, and then yes, um, you caught heat over him the other day, right? Um, yeah, every time he has a bad game. But so never, Saturday, but, but what Saturday about, when he didn't play well, then everybody started talking about he just left and went to the locker room. But what about yeah, when so, he was like not single handedly but a from huge part of what they because they're wussies. <laughs> You don't hear from him then, but you hear you don't hear from him when he plays it's well. You people, only hear from him when they play. It's bad. never people on the X Twitter that use their actual names or photo, is it? No, I, I call them out if they do. So I, I wouldn't if I were them. So I say, you know what? And I'm I'm cool with like I'll be critical, and I was critical yesterday, but I'm also fair. I think we sit here, we need to be fair and impartial about right. this, and I'm really fair about it. Um, normally, the critique that comes in regarding Miles, he's much different than anybody else. It is always his fault. It's never anybody else's if they have a bad game. It's always his fault. So, you know, I have been a, a defender for a number of years. Do you, do That's you one get, of the reasons. Do you think you get criticism from the same uh, person's burner accounts that <laughs> Probably. You, you think that's yeah. right? Or just, just Nimrods in general. Probably. Certain things yeah. kind of give it away. All right, so Miles Turner on today, right? In yeah, about 20 minutes? 15, yeah. All right, about 20 minutes. Miles Turner with John. He's up next. We'll be back with you at noon tomorrow.